Welcome everyone to Dabu's Fingers, episode 110, Squishers and Mummers, featuring Virginie. I'm Scad, and with me as always is my buddy Matt. Yeah, and I'm looking so forward to this. This has been such a long time coming, Ginny. We, uh, long time blood rider, long time friend. We first started talking, we just determined it was about uh, over three years ago now, and you won't find a kinder, more positive addition to our fandom than Jenny. She has this wonderful way of just making everybody feel welcome and included, and uh, we're so excited to have you. How you doing? Uh, well, I'm feeling really shy right now because what you just said is way too kind, and I do not deserve it. Uh, but I'm feeling great. Well, get over it. <laughs> feeling great. We are too. Yeah, I I just echo Matt. So excited to have you on. You're always such a a positive beam, and uh, every interaction we've ever had just uh, has been great. So I'm just excited to excited to get your thoughts on this chapter, and also just learn a little bit more about you. Now, Scad, uh, I don't know if we've ever pulled the curtain aside for this for people, but the way that we select our meet the Kalisar uh, participants, if you will, special guests is we basically put everyone's name in a hat who has it was interested that expressed indicated interest, interest uh, yeah. from our Patreon. And we basically pull a name randomly. And so when Jenny's name was pulled, both of us, I think, shouted with glee. So We did. And uh, yeah, I mean, we, we did start kind of hand handpicking people. And frankly, I started feeling awkward about it because it's like, picking amongst your friends who's gonna who who you're gonna get to talk to and so we decided to let i, I literally roll a dice i have D D dice with many sides and um i have a list and everybody has a number and i roll a die and if you are interested and you're you know been been with the kalisar make sure to let us know um so that we can we can include you in the dice rolls mm-hmm. um we have a list we're working from and it's not tiny but um you know, let us know if you're interested. Uh, but yes, totally, totally glad to have Jenny with us. Uh, shall we? Shall we dive into some announcements before we start start the chapter analysis? Yeah, it's a time of pain, misery, and woe, right? <laughs> Both of you. <ya>? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some more than others. Yeah, Jenny. Are you <laughs> yes. feeling it? Are you feeling I the am woe? Feeling so much woe. I still haven't <laughs> recovered from the seeding. <laughs> And I had to vote for either Miranda Royce or Hot Pie. Like, what kind of monsters are you? <laughs> yeah. Only and in then, your nightmares. And then, of course, we said goodbye to Miranda Royce, I think, on the first day. Yes, mm-hmm. because Sam won't. <laughs> I hate you so much. How did you make me choose between Miranda and Sam? Yeah. We make you choose nothing. We just That's give true. you opportunity. Yeah, so and... we did. Go ahead. No, it's okay. Like I accepted my fate and I chose a wonderful criteria that was not at all inspired by one of your tweets. And so it's who should come travel like in baby Yoda's adventures with me and baby Yoda because he's my child. Sorry, Mandalorian, you lose. Um, And... And that's great. Actually, it's really fun. I, I am extremely not at all biased. <clears throat> and it's amazing. I love it. <laughs> the, one, the one thing I love about your criteria, Jenny, every year, 
uh, at least that I remember, is you're reasonably flexible with it, such that if you can talk your way into the one you want, you will. Yes, 100%. Which, let's be honest, everybody does that. Everyone's yeah. doing it. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. sometimes I'm just well, like, oh, I... well, I cheat, it's fine. It is fine. I think uh, I don't want to give. I don't want to spoil the secret, but I think that is the secret. Pick a criteria and then don't go with it when you want. Exactly. But you're still gonna. You're still gonna end up with matchups where you're just beside yourself with Will. Uh, kind of on that in that flavor in that vein. Who who else? I I love your criteria, Ginny. But who else? Who else is bringing criteria or commentary that you guys have enjoyed? All right, so oh. this year, the orcs of Winterfell are amazing. Like, we yeah. get bullet points. Like, how good is that? Yeah. I, I mean... Um, I don't know. I, don't, I think it's exposed who he is. Can we just say it? Oh, I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, yeah maybe I don't, don't know. The orcs do a great... The great the orcs do a great job every year. This year, yeah, I feel like it is. It's I made a I made a point about that too. They they're bringing bullet points. Um, it's it's pretty impressive. Yeah. Yeah. I've liked uh, K two calves. Um, sex in a cave with who they'd rather have. With cake. With too. cake. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's, it's a crucial part. I'd I've liked. Uh, I think I think it's Zach. Who's doing? Uh, who he'd like to have on the Toronto Maple Leafs hockey team with him? Yes. Yes. I've had yes. some, com- some fun conversations from that one. Um, oh, there's there's so many. I even like Paper Dasheries, uh, who she'd like to give a hug. Sounds simple <laughs> like that. That's yes, really cute. and I like Caliandra as well, who's who needs a hug more, mm, which is yes, similar. They go well together. Yep. I like that one. And uh, shout out to to the Bear Air. Uh, um, she's doing person she'd most like to have in her turn of the century romance novel, which sometimes is a partner, sometimes it's a fun friend, sometimes it's a father figure that would fit. It's uh, it's been a lot of fun to read those. Uh, but honestly, everybody's bringing so much fun to it with their criteria, and uh, yeah, it's been it's been a good year for it. And I mean, knock on wood, but it's been a fun year. Yeah, hasn't been nearly as much vitriol, and uh, that's been fun. So, Mm-mm. good stuff. Oh, and also I got to throw out for uh, Thirst of Madness, the new hashtag from this year that I've been pushing, uh, because there is a there are a lot yes, of people have. just doing hotter. <laughs> Who's hotter? Who do I want to sleep with? Yeah. Uh, lot lots of that. So, lots of that going on. Bit of fun year. That's like um, not even a song of madness criteria for me. That's just every day. <laughs> <laughs> It's true. It's not even new yeah. for me. Yeah, you caught the fire earlier this week. <laughs> we we oh, spun just... off almost a whole new mini tournament for Matt's crushes. That was pretty fun. <laughs> just name after name that just keeps coming on the list. Uh, shall we move on? Yes. Do some Patreon updates? Well, we've been, been really busy with Song of Madness, to be honest. But uh, we do have a new patron episode coming at the end of March, for those of you uh, that are patrons. Uh, it is What If phrase had bungled the red wedding and the northmen had escaped mm, that's exciting so a lot of impact for the north rob is alive probably depending I mean, there's a lot of leeway actually where matt and i can go with this question yeah for how bad they bungled it but uh gonna be a lot of fun so check us out on patreon if you're interested in that extra monthly content we're uh we're we're bringing it now and uh having a lot of 
a lot of fun doing it. So yeah, and shout out to uh, Dr. Lindsay, who suggested that longtime blood writer and friend. So Dr. Lindsay, whose criteria is also pretty great. Well, my favorite thing that she's doing is when she brings out her chickens. Yes. <laughs> She has chickens, and many of them are named after Song of Ice and Fire characters. And she'll snap a picture and show us. It's great. Yep. Thanks, Lizzie. Uh, All right, so today, uh, buried the lead a little bit, unless you guessed from the title, uh, we've been busy uh, uh, getting getting intimate with Brienne 4 from A Feast for Crows. So we're going to touch on previous chapters, obviously, because there's a lot kind of leading up to this chapter. Um, and we'll also likely look ahead a little bit uh, as as her journey continues. So yeah, there will be spoilers for for Brienne's future chapters. Uh, I don't think anyone's too concerned about that these days. But just so you know, we'll talk about lots of stuff that is not contained in this chapter. Yeah, and of course we love hearing from you, whether it's a Song of Madness season or not. So if you want to contact us to talk about anything, topics for future episodes, how your life is going, whatever, we want to hear about it. You can find us at uh, our email address is wearedavosfingers at gmail.com, uh, at Davos Fingers on Twitter, where we're always hanging out. You can find and like us on Facebook. And if you want to learn more about our Patreon program, which we're doing lots of fun stuff over there, it's patreon.com slash Davos Fingers. That's right. Well, uh, we are going to dive right in to uh, one of the chapter summaries for for this chapter and uh and then we'll do some some analysis so let's go ahead and jump right in yes uh so with the newly met nimble dick crab as their guide brienne and podrick take the road east along the bay of crabs they needed a guide but trust is in short supply brienne is wary of every one of nimble dick's steps won't trust him to sleep in their room at the ends they take refuge in, and even starts prepping Pod for later when he will have to keep watch while she sleeps. You can say Brienne doesn't have good instincts, because Dick is checking her saddlebags the very next day for the dragons that Brienne had promised him to become their guide and deliver them to a fool that travels with a girl. He claims he was just checking to see if they were there, so many dishonest people these days. Other than the constant fear of theft and attack from their guide, the travel isn't terrible. Dick is fun to travel with. He sings, despite nobody wanting to join in, and adorably, he doesn't know any of the full songs. He just knows the little pieces that he sprinkles together. He told stories, too, of Cracklaw Point, where they're traveling, about how resilient the people were, never being conquered, but always fighting amongst themselves, even getting Brienne to engage with his tales of Sir Clarence Crab. Yeah, Brienne tells of Sir Galadon of Morn, the perfect knight to combat Dick's stories with her own. Dick can't be talked down. He's absolutely certain that his hero is better. If they'd have ever met, there'd be one more bloody head sitting on the shelf at the Whispers. And Brienne couldn't help but smile. Dick also stumbles onto some actual history, too. The Lords of Cracklaw Pines were never conquered. But when Visenya came, they pledged their fealty to the king, and just the king. They actually don't owe any allegiance to the larger houses of Maidenpool or Duskendale, but are independent. All good dragon men up Cracklaw Way. 
And as their day wraps up and they bed it down for the night, lithe penis lobster again cried at the unjust treatment of sleeping on the ground instead of up in the cozy loft with Brienne and Todd. At that, Brienne remembers a simpler time, when she was less wary, when she trusted the words of men when they flattered her. But it was Recepta who taught her the truth. I prefer agile penis lobster. Well... <laughs> Lithe is good, too. Uh, I got a whole slew of them. (laughs) Hope you guys are ready. Uh, The Septa said, They only say those things to win your Lord Father's favor. You'll find truth in your looking glass, not on the tongues of men. Jeez. This advice had saved her at Bitterbridge when the men were making fake advances at her to win a cruel game. She didn't fall for their niceties and instead battered them in a melee after learning the truth. That's how you do it. She went to sleep that night thinking of that fight, of beating Sir Laura senseless. And the best part, she dreamt of Sir Jane pinning her rainbow cloak on her after the victory. Such a sweet dream. And when she woke, it was raining. It rained as they traveled all day. A relentless pounding rain. But Dick led them on, freezing as he was. They camped by the ocean that night, huddled amongst some rocks. Best we keep a watch tonight, my lady, Dick said. A place like this, there might be squishers. Yes. Dick believes in creatures from the Black Lagoon that will emerge from the water and eat them. (laughs) They fall asleep to more of Dick's tales, but Brienne can't help but think of what has become of Sansa. If she found her sister, if she was going to catch a ship, and she began to regret her failed promises to protect Renly, to avenge him, and that she'd failed Catelyn, too. Yeah. Okay. Something about that travel, man, and uh, staying up late nights and watch um, nothing but you and your thoughts and a dark wood and the sound of waves to keep you company, I guess. Um yeah, I don't know. I, I feel, I feel like she's pretty hard on herself with all of these, all all this blame that she's that she's bringing. You know, she blamed herself for Renly, but you know, you can't fight ghosts. Um, she blamed herself again for not avenging him, and you know, she's one person, <laughs> like <laughs> against you know a, a kingdom of people, and that she failed Catelyn. And it's like, well, you're not yet. You didn't really even fail her yet. You're still trying. As usual, I think, you know, Brienne's pretty hard on herself. And she says that it's um, the rain falling down her face, or whatever the line is. But come mm. on, Brienne, it's okay to cry. It's okay. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, it's it's a, a beautifully written line from George. Um, mm. Actually ended right right where our section was. And yep. Yeah. Yeah, she's she's crying. It's, it's got to be horrible for her. And then you look ahead a few chapters. You said we're going to be doing spoilers on this episode. She's got a noose around her neck, and she's being asked to betray Jamie Lannister, right? Yeah. And that failure adds on to these failures, the failures, the Renly thing, the Catelyn thing. And now she feels like she's failing Jamie when she's sitting there with the noose around her neck. And it's like, I just feel awful for her because she believes that what she's doing is so noble. And we believe that too. It's like Brienne's the one who's out there doing nothing for herself. She's out there trying to find these girls for somebody else. 
and it just never works out for her. It never works out for her. She's doing all the good things and she's just getting kicked in the teeth every single yeah. time. Yeah, the, the task she has is difficult. She's basically got, she's looking for a girl. She's not really even wanting to give the girl's name. Yeah. <laughs> and she's got kind of a whole kingdom to look. Now, she's narrowed some things down, some things that like she probably couldn't go to certain places. Um, but, you know, she's she's clutching at straws. And I gotta be honest, if I were given that task, I'd laughed and given up immediately. I wouldn't mm -hmm. I wouldn't even start it. Yeah. Well, I just want yeah. to say a thing about what you're saying here. The past three chapters, Brienne has spent her entire time anytime she met someone new asking, you know, have you seen a maid of one well, ten and three who is like looking like this and that? Because she's looking for Sansa, right? And now she is she's found Nimble Dick after being told that someone had met this fool who claimed to have fooled a fool. Well, sorry, this person who had <laughs> fooled a fool. And now she's with Nimble Dick, the guy who fooled a fool. And on the lead, and she does not ask anybody to check because at the beginning, they're still going through villages and towns and they sleep in inns and not one single time mm. is it mentioned. She asks if people have seen a fool traveling with a maid of ten and three. And I find that yes. really astounding in the wrong way. I'm yes. sorry, Brian, I love you, but this was not very <laughs> smart. No, I have I have a kind of a similar note. I agree with you, Ginny. Uh, I Br I love Brienne, uh, but I, and I don't want to. But I don't want to apologize for what I'm about to say. I don't think she's the smartest character around. She's asking these questions. She meets. This is not in the chapter we're covering, but she meets uh, this dwarf uh, Septon mm -hmm. uh, in the previous chapter before this one that that tells her that he that he knows about nimble dick that's that's where she gets the lead for nimble dick and the questions she asks him aren't that great to to really determine whether this is even the right whether it's even the right uh fool. uh jester mm. fool and the guy does start off it's kind of weird it's kind of like uh i don't know if you guys have seen zootopia um yes i do have children. uh when when they get, when they go to like the the yoga place when they go to the yoga place and and the one guy is asking the elephant all the questions and yet he's the one that actually knows all the information the dwarf septon says ah i didn't really get a good look at him and he's like well i saw him at the docks and i saw him like nine nights at at, at the the stinking goose i heard overheard several of his conversations like he actually seems to know quite a bit about this guy but she doesn't she doesn't seem to like delve into like how was he acting because mm. Dantos was a very certain way and she didn't know him super well i know but you know she she's just she's loyal and great in so many ways but she is not a detective no right she's never wanted to be i don't think no and yeah oh, that's, no. <laughs> she's she's never was cut out to be or wanted to be this strategist or this leader of people yeah. or even a detective she is a i want to wear that rainbow cloak to protect renly type character and there's something very noble about that 
she grew up on these stories of Galadon of Morn who just went around doing noble things. It's just, it's like, well, what do you do? Well, you do the noble thing. Okay. What are the details? Tell yeah. me details about doing the noble thing. Let's get right. into the logistics of being doing the noble <laughs> right. thing. And she's like, right. no, you just do the noble thing. And Brienne's one of those people that you just point her in the right direction and you get to work. And the noble thing will get done. And that's doing the noble thing is, is, uh, it's hard yeah. unless you are noble. If you're noble, it comes naturally, right? If you're not, you have to think about what the noble thing is. And so doing the noble thing for her is easy. And, mm. you know, I'm kind of giving her a hard time about not being a detective and not being a good fit for this job. On the other hand, she's perfect for this job because she doesn't look at it like a detective. A detective would look at this and be like, you're screwed. Like, you're not, you're not going to find her. She looks at it like, gotta keep hitting with my hammer gotta gotta keep you gotta chop this tree down i gotta keep trying it's the only way this is gonna happen and you know maybe jamie saw that for what it is she is not going to give up where most people would it's very stubborn yeah in a good way that, uh, in in the best way yeah we i work at a in a i train salespeople. basically is, is a big part of my job and we call that grit it's the type of people that mm. can be told no 30 times and still keep making the next call and making the next call and making the next call. Right. It's right. Mm -hmm. She's gritty. She's totally. gritty. Yep. Um, do you got, do you guys want to talk squishers? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to just sit back and let you two talk. <laughs> well, I don't know that I have a ton to say because I, I know I don't. <laughs> I just love how well, all right, I'll react. go ahead and get mine out of the way first if you want me yeah. to. I sure. think okay. the whole point of the squishers, I don't even think Nimble Dick believes in them. I think the whole point of the squishers was to scare Podrick. That's the whole reason I think he's telling this story. And done. I've said it worked. It worked. It's amazing. <laughs> Pod is scared. It did work. <laughs> he's this little 10 year old kid that, yep. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Jay, uh, Brian says during this chapter, we all have tales, and she's referring to the, the Clarence Crab tales and, and her tale of Sir Galadon of Morn. But we all have scary tales and, and tales that, you know, that we kind of grow up on too. And this is their local scary story. And I, I, I agree. I think they're, I, I think they're nothing. I don't think they exist at all. Yeah, and those this stories. is people are going to be so upset. They're like, I thought we were going to get squisher talk. <laughs> Ginny, save us. You got anything on squishers? No, that's literally it. I mean, when I was a child and a yeah. young teenagers, a teenager, I would make up stories <laughs> like the most the scariest, the better, I suppose. So my points in life, when we were sleeping at my dad's place, because uh, my parents are divorced, and with my sister, we were used to being in a house with like more people. But when we were one every second weekend uh we would sleep at my dad's place he lives in a village mm -hmm. right next to the wood and it was so easy to scare her it was great so i had good practice and she was practiced at listening <laughs> to my horrible stories and whenever we were with our cousins it was me and my eldest cousin teaming up on the two younger ones so my younger sister and her brother who is also younger we were the, mm -hmm. oh, the so horrible. It was great. And then with my sister, one day she got, like she got her badge of being this horrible relative when we had some other younger people 
over at my dad's place and I started off a horrible story and my sister jumped in like you could see she was shining with glee finally she could be the scary one too (laughs) (laughs) so yes please I love the squishies and that is one of the reasons why I love Nimble Dick so much (laughs) I relate to him so much of just just yeah. trying to get a rise out of people and just yes please <laughs> good i have a recurring section called how i finally stopped pretending and admitted that i love me some dick okay it's beautiful he has real pride in his homeland oh yeah even even though it hasn't really treated him well and it kind of really sucks and probably he even knows that like he loves it. He loves it. And he knows he knows his stuff, too. Like, he knows this place, like, the back of his hand. And I don't know exactly how old he is. I didn't look it up. But, like, this is a hard place to get around in. Mm. It's not like there's roads everywhere. And he's doing this all without a map, and he just kind of knows it. Like, he was talking a big game, but he, he can actually lead them. Um, he's also kind of just genuine. Like, he's he's clearly not the one in power and yet he just calls it like he sees it he's like this you not letting me sleep with you guys is is garbage this is wrong you know like he doesn't sit on his feelings he just lets them out and he's not gonna like force the issue more than just saying something but yeah still say no. it. <laughs> yeah 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 exactly and he's a good guy and like he's a real good guy right i, I mean yeah, I'm tempted the the see the 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 chapter before this, you get you get a sense of during the negotiation where he's trying to like get more money out of Brienne and stuff. You get the sense that he's a little bit more menacing. You know, like he's exacting more gold from her and like driving the price up and you know, he kind of seems more calculating and and kind of I don't know about villainous, but but at least not necessarily trustworthy. When they get out on the road, he just seems like a ball of cuddly fun to me. And he's so trusting himself, other than checking the saddlebag for the money, you know. Uh, he's just, he s- sleeps like a baby. He's, you know, not not worried about being stabbed in the night. He's, you know, I, I don't know. I just, I really fell for him on this reread. Yeah, I think of him kind of as a scoundrel it, rather than like an, a bad guy or something. You said he sounded kind of menacing at first and he does. He's kind of just a scoundrel. He's a dude that gets into trouble and stuff like that. And you know what? Yeah. He is going to reach into some saddlebags here and there, but you know, he's had to survive as an adult. It feels like he's had to find ways to survive. And so he's going to reach okay. into some saddlebags here and there. I got a comparison. Is he Greedo? Uh? I don't know enough about Greedo. No, nobody does. If you if you read the coffee table book, uh, anyway, I forgot what it's called now, so I can't recommend it. But it kind of tells a little bit of his backstory. Um, but uh, I, I I was gonna say what it, it's kind of like he's just a Han Solo that's not attractive and and charismatic, right? It's a so little he's never been as but... he's a little charismatic, yeah, but not not like Han. Mm-hmm. Anyway. I I think you're not you're not missing the mark, Matt, because in the in the follow up chapter after this, when they get back, um, I think it's the 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 owner of the stinking goose says yeah. something like, "I always figured he'd end up at the wall." You yeah. Know, like, he, 
he's just kind of a you know just kind of figured he he'd get caught doing something wrong and end up at the wall yep and he'd probably do fine if he'd gotten to the wall that could be our next what if episode what if nimble dick crab had been sent to the wall he would be he, such good I bet friends he and, with he and Dolores Ed would be best friends. Dolores Ed and him, yep. <laughs> best friends, buddies for life. Did we just become best friends? Jon Snow's like this freaking dick crab. My gosh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, my wife's from a really small town, and I love going up there and visiting. Uh, and one of the reasons I really love going up there and visiting is that everybody knows the same stories about the hometown and they tell those same stories all the time. Like if we go to a basketball game, oh, you're going to get the stories about how they beat the rival in the rival school in the tournament 25 years ago and how is this huge come from behind victory. You're going to hear that story every time you go to a high school basketball game in town. And like, and it sounds like I'm teasing them, but it's, it's kind of this fun little whimsical quirk about going to small towns. And uh, there's this, yeah. like you said, Scad, there's this pride in where they're from. And I love that. And I see they talked about how Nimble Dick, every little ruined hold fast or whatever he walked by, he had a story about that place. And, right. you know, every tree that they passed by, he knew what happened under that tree one time. And, uh, you know, the crabs are all about gone. The brunes are all about gone. But he's going to talk about how the crabs and brunes and bogses and all of them, they fought with Rhaegar on the trident. And, you know, the three crabs that had served on the Kingsguard, which who knows if they really were. Um, but uh, he knows them all. And I think that's a fun part about him. So I like him, yeah. too. Mm-hmm. yeah it's it's also you get the sense like maybe the way he tells stories it's very much oral tradition right they're yeah. not books he read it's just stories that have been told as he's traveled around and with the families he grew up with and stuff um jenny were you gonna say something uh, i don't know yeah he's a wonderful storyteller like he his little inputs about how sir clarence um would have webbed his ass sorry his hairy ass on Sir Galadon. I mean, how good is that? Like, seriously? Like, you know, like, the, that is good storytelling because why do I remember Sir Clarence had a hairy ass? Well, because <laughs> he would wipe his ass with Sir uh, Galadon. That's those, those endearing yes. <laughs> details. Uh, you can't forget Make the a story, story because of how it's told, right? <laughs> Ew. Like, I will go to my tomb with the story of Sir... Um, oh my god. And the name is so ridiculous too. Like Sir Clarence Crab. Sorry. Uh, um, that's beautiful. It is beautiful. So Sir Clarence Crab wiped his hairy ass. Would have wiped his hairy ass on this other dude. And I'm sorry, but that makes him extremely memorable to me. So I will always remember Sir Clarence Crab because of nimble dick storytelling i love that i love it he's he's kind of the guy you don't want to like tell a story before because he's totally going to show you up even if his story isn't as good just like the language he uses and the way he gets into it like wiping his hairy ass yeah it makes a good story yeah yeah and i think that's kind of the point of nimble dick's uh inclusion in a song of ice and fire to be honest with you I mean, yeah, to do some world building about a lesser known part of Westeros, but also that without him, 
Brienne slogging through the bogs and forests and everything is just a drag. Her and Pod yeah. are not people you're going to want to read about. But you throw in a nimble dick crab in there, and all of a sudden, Brienne's huh. arc is interesting again. <laughs> I, I think that, yeah, I think that's one of one of the two one of the two purposes he serves. Yeah, we'll get to the other one maybe at least in my opinion a little later. Um, I did want to cover a couple things real quick. Uh, Sakunsus Mapas, which we haven't done in a while, for Maidenpool, and and Crocklaw Point because. I had done this. I I had been imagining this wrong. This is now, I think, my sixth reread, depending on how you count it. Um, and I think I was I had misunderstood this all the previous five times. I always imagined they were kind of coming up the south side of 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 that uh, little peninsula that sticks out on your map, and instead. They went all the way across the top, and now we're just kind of hugging the coast. And I don't know how I missed that. It's very clear. But if you haven't looked at a map, they're going all the way to the top and then just walking in kind of along the coast. And I kind of always had imagined, I think it was because of the time they spent in the wood, I imagine they had to kind of cut across the middle of that of that uh, peninsula. But they don't. So oh. something I just wanted to bring up. That's because Nimbledick said that the coast road was the shortest. Yes. Uh, right. Yes, one wouldn't thing think it would I... be, but I guess because of the bogs and all that stuff. Yeah. Stay out of yeah. the bogs. Uh, there's one thing I noted, and uh, even when I was reading uh, earlier, like, there's a beautiful Freud, and I don't know how you pronounce that. How do you say it? Dr. Hmm. Freud? Freud? I don't know, in English. Freudian. Freudian. Yeah, that guy. Freudian. Freudian. Okay, so there's a Freudian yeah. slip when um, Brienne dreamt of Jamie. I, I pronounce it the more famous way. I said Jamie because better. Um, so Jamie <laughs> pinning the rainbow cloak. Obviously, this is not what happened. That was Renly, right? And so yeah. she is so into Renly, officially to her, and that comes back a bit later too. Um She's like, oh no, she was just doing everything for Renly, like in the very same, like a few paragraphs away. But each time there's, she inserts Jamie in there and she's like, oh, what, Jamie's now pinning the rainbow cloak on her? No, definitely did not happen. Jamie's blonde. You can't tell them apart. Um, and uh, <laughs> then she says something about how... Oh, yeah, at the very end of what we just um, summarized, she wishes James could have come with him, but not her. Sorry. But no, no, it's okay. Anyway, she was doing everything for Renly. Like, she wishes James was uh -huh. with her, but no, she's doing it all for Renly. But I'm, I'm sorry, once again, you can tell them apart. This is good, actually. You, you can. One is blonde, one is dark-haired. Congratulations. But... Like, she always puts them together, like, in the same breath each time she mentions yeah. them in this chapter. And I have this thing. People have disagreed with me, but I'm sorry. Brienne is very much into jokes. This is a concept I didn't know before watching American teenage movies, like the sports joke guy. That's her type. The super good-looking, kind of, mm. definitely arrogant guy who has all the chicks. 
and I mean, one of them is gay, not interested. The other one is into his twin sister, also not interested. But that's who she is into. <laughs> and I mean, Brienne, I love you so it's much, true. but clearly you have terrible, terrible tastes in men. And I say that as someone <laughs> who has terrible tastes in men myself, but hers are so much worse. Like, for, please, please, for Pete's sake, like, do that for yourself. It is wrong, wrong, wrong. Bad guys, not good. You're... Jenny, your rants are wonderful on Twitter. They are 100 times better live. <laughs> that was fantastic. Cosigned. Yeah, cosigned. So anyway, I I feel like I feel like there's a lot to unpack in there. She has a type. It's jocks. I agree. Uh it hasn't worked out for her. I also though think she's the way she chooses her men, I mean, I don't think she so much chose Renly for anything other than he was nice to her and she he provided something different than most. And and after that moment, it was more like um, it, it was it was more just like he occupied that space in her brain that was wanting something more, some something maybe unattainable. But something that she could target at and 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 um, dream about, but like yearn for, right? Um, I don't know if you guys have seen the movie Meet Joe Black, um, mm. but in yeah. Meet Joe Black, uh, one of the characters is flirting with one of the other main characters at the very near the very beginning of the movie, and they have this very real spark and connection. It's it's one of the best flirting scenes I think I've ever seen. I, I love that movie. I'm a big fan, but. Um, he goes on uh, and unbeknownst to her gets hit by a car mm. and um, and death ends up taking his body because he wants to learn what it's like to live a human life. It's very complicated. The point I'm making isn't. Um, she fell in love with him in the diner in that first scene and she hasn't been able to look back since. And like all of this behavior that he has as death is not the same as he was in the diner, but she fell in love at the diner. She fell for Renly when he came to court and she danced with him and he was nice to her and mm -hmm. the time flew by and it was like this magical thing. And it's been in her brain that whole time as love or infatuation or something you're in for, whatever you kind of want to call it, but it's been f fake kind of right. It's, it's, it's not, it's not based on a whole lot. The Jamie thing is different. It's based on a lot. They have a lot in common um she's you know he's he's a bit of a fixer-upper she's got a lot of trust issues they can kind of help each other grow a lot and they make real connections i'm not a huge you know jamie and brian must happen shipper on my end but but i do recognize that what they have is significant to both of them it's taught them both a lot there's a very real connection between them um whether it turns to romance or not i don't know i don't even know that i care but what i do know is that when she's replacing Renly with Jamie in these memories, um, it's it's more than just confusing them. It's it's a deliberate note from George to show us that she's replacing somewhat frivolous, meaningless connections with real ones, and and Correct. that's growth for her. Oh yeah, uh, uh, uh huh. I mean, I absolutely love their relationship. I, I I hope it does not happen because clearly she. 
Okay, I love Jaime as a character, and especially I love him as a POV. He's an incredible POV mm. to read. Um, but yes. I, I sincerely hope that she, like, they don't get together somehow because she is not his therapist. He has a lot of issues to solve, and <laughs> she does too. Think he's amazing. Um, twin sister for that because clearly Cersei has put so much crap onto him, right? But um, and Tywin too. And, and yeah, of course, obviously, right? But the so yes, she does have problems too. I mean, Brienne's upbringing was not fun, was not happy, and yes, certainly she has this um, huge love or whatever it is for Renly because he's the only one who was ever nice to her. Like, how bad is that? But yep. Still, she can't be here to fix James. Like, he has way too much to be fixed. And she deserves better, is what I'm saying. Or maybe she should happily be alone yeah, on her own, you know? Uh, happy and <laughs> not being in a relationship are not things that don't add up. Like, look at me being happily single. So I, I know what I'm talking about. But it's just, don't go for the asshole just because you you see that thanks to you, he's learned to develop himself because clearly um, James grows so much through their relationship that is not like a love relationship, but it is a relationship. You don't need to do more. You're, you're not here to fix him. And women are not here to fix men in heterosexual relationships. That's terrible. Totally. Absolutely. Uh, good point. I, I think I've said this before talking about Brienne that uh, you don't need to have just because two characters connect doesn't mean it has to be a romantic connection and doesn't mean it has to turn into a romantic connection. People mm -hmm. can come in and out of your life or stay in your life and, and be a very real continuing perpetual part of your life without romantic feelings. And that's fine. And I'd love to see that more in stories. I, yes. Just that whole idea of, I remember when Star Wars first came out and it was all are or not the not original Star Wars, the new Star Wars movies, and it was all about after the first film, Ray and Finn getting together, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and I was just like, no, why, why? Yeah, who needs it? Yeah, exactly. Two can care about each other without having sex. It's totally fine. And then Ray and her too. I, I do. I, yeah, I. It's one of the things that's bothered me most about the films, and it's not even the films. It's the people talking about the films. It's mm -hmm. so frustrating. It's like, just let them be, okay? Uh, you know? But anyway. People uh, can yeah, have I... a sig make a significant impact on your life, and just being them, and your relationship being completely platonic, full of yeah. chemistry, full of happiness and positivity and uplifting each other, and not have romance. And that's fine. Is that, I mean, yeah, the way they try to shoehorn romance into Finn's story on in all three films, like oh. and like, I guess none of them took. I don't know. It was it was just it was so awkward. Didn't work with the me. focus groups. Uh, I don't know. Well, I don't so know bad. who it didn't work. They should have stopped. I mean, yeah. Sorry, Jenny. I feel like you were about to say something. No, I mean, I was just totally wanting to agree, like on the record, that. Um, Typically, people tend to be monogamous, right? Which is wonderful, I suppose, uh, for them. And so mm -hmm. you're supposed to have one partner, aren't you? <laughs> Does that mean that you 
only have one person in your life that is not your mom and dad. I mean, seriously, how does that even work, right? So you... I, don't, I don't necessarily agree with that, but... I mean, yes, no, me neither. I mean, I totally don't agree with that. And so you should have as many people in your life as you should, as you want to, as you connect with, that you, you may not be having hot, steamy sex with in a cave, but you probably will be eating cake with them. You know? Like, people do matter, mm -hmm. no matter what the status of your relationship is. And I mean, seriously... Mm -hmm. I care so much more for my friends than I care for my ex-partners because, let's face it, they are ex-partners. And even when we were partnered, I was also like, um, I'm sorry, a friend of mine needs me, so I'm going to go, okay, bye. Because my friends will be here for me I, even I when I break up you're with a the guy. Friend. I try. And also, I mean, I know that these people will be here for me later. Now, my partner is here for me while we are partnered. And I mean, talking from experience, this is not going to last, <laughs> at least not a lifetime. So might as well focus my energy on like, not focus it. I don't know. You can share energy. You can multiply it when it comes to people. And you don't have to have like 12 partners. You can just have zero partner and 12 friends. You can also have one or five partners if you're polyamorous and so many friends that are left because I can't do math. Doesn't matter. You can and have the same energy for all of these people. It's just different energy. I don't know. Sorry. It's not an expected I... rant. <laughs> it, it was an unexpected rant, but I loved it. Yeah. Uh, I, I, you know, I am a... I'm a married man with uh, two kids. Uh, I have what people might consider a traditional family, um, but I don't. I don't really believe that's the right way to do it at mm. all. I mean, I, I think, you know, my brother has a partner. They're not married, no kids, no plans for kids. I, I know polyamorous people, and they're fully happy. I I, th I feel like there are so many different ways to live. It's more just about creating connections and. And for Brienne, bringing it back to Song of Song of Ice and Fire, uh, I I think I think it's I think she's got a lot of love in her heart, but also I think I think she's meant for other things, yeah. and and you know she can she can still think about those think about love and relationships and and, and develop them, but I think she knows she's meant for other things too, and so. I, not that she shouldn't get distracted by them, but yeah, I, I kind of hope the Jamie thing is something she can grow from and learn about herself and, and, and you know, just be the best Brienne. But um, yeah, I, I'm not, I'm not super convinced she needs a partner. Boy, close the door podcast is not pleased with us right now. No, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I like them. <laughs> but... No. <laughs> I mean, it's okay. Great people. And they bring yeah. up great points, and uh, kudos to them. But I also don't want to disagree with them because I often think, oh, yeah, that was smart. But come on, there's a whole other world of possibilities. This is what. Lots of, lots of ways do. to live in this human life. Yeah. Yep. I will Agreed. just say that uh, I don't love Renly for a lot of reasons, but I love the fact that he was one who treated. Brienne, like a human. Yeah. Yes, I mean that's so right. low standards, but yes. Right. 
I've never I've never understood all the hate for Renly. I mean, like Usurper, yeah, okay. Who isn't in this book? Right? Like <laughs> yes. you know, like, whatever. <laughs> Fine. But like he's he's a nice guy, you know, which is more than you can say for most of them. And and he was he was grasping. He was definitely uh positioning himself to be put in a position of power and all of that yeah i think a lot of people don't like him because he usurped his brother essentially <laughs> he he uh he he what's it called not piggybacking but leapfrogged, leapfrogged over stannis yeah. and people don't like that but there's a reason that, that renly got the followers that, the following that he did and it's it's because of the way he treated people and maybe part of that was you know, like a politician posturing. Um, but uh, I think there's probably something pretty real in that too. Everyone else was making fun of Brienne. He didn't. And I think that yep. says something. So, You guys have any, any other notes you want to hit for this first section? <clears throat> Not really. I actually have quite a few more, but I don't know how important they all are. Yes, yeah, same. Um, I really, I liked, uh, I liked kind of making the connection, I, I think, of where Brienne gets kind of that nobility instilled in her and that altruisticness. And I think it came from her dad. I think it came yeah. from Selwyn. She grew up on these stories about Galadon of Morn. And this detail completely escaped me until this reread that Brienne's brother, who died when he was eight years old, name was, was named Galadon. Yeah. Galadon. Huh. I completely yes. missed that little piece. And uh, that, to me, if Selwyn's going to name his kid after this guy, this this legendary, probably not real person, then uh, these were probably ideals that Selwyn lived by. And he was probably, he was a bit of a nerd, Selwyn was, <laughs> like us. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he was that guy that names his kid Daenerys. And... <laughs> And uh, I like him. He, he Selwyn probably had a podcast or was on Twitter, and <laughs> well into his forties. <laughs> well, there you go, Micah. We're delving into a minor character. There you go, Selwyn. Yeah. Selwyn and Little Galadon, who died. Little Galadon, who was drowned at eight years old. Yeah, that's very minor character. Okay, so I'm gonna jump on the minor character um, wagon. She mentions that she doesn't trust Nimble Dick Crab as much as she would trust trust Cersei Cedric Cedric of the Shady Glen and the, the Mad Mouse. Yes. And I'm like, yeah, to be debated. Currently, he's in the Vale, which, by the way, means that he who was looking for Sansa has found her. Yes, Rien, you should have gone with him. However, I'm not sure. Like, I mean, I really like him as a character. He's a minor character that I absolutely love. But he's also a bit of a like funny guy. How much should you really trust him? Sansa herself actually does wonder that um, when she bumps into him. That's oh, sorry, spoiler. I remember where it is now. Okay. Anyway, uh, it's um, like she's like oh. Should I trust this guy? He seems to talk a lot about bags of dragons around me. Yes. Anyway, that was it. That was very interesting. Mm -hmm. The guy that Sensei is like, ah, be careful around him. 
and yes, he was yeah. looking for Sansa and did find her. Yeah, I, I think Brienne generally has good instincts about situations. She's not necessarily got great instincts about people um, all the I time. Don't. I mean, nope. you know, Sir Shadrick, she thinks maybe she should trust her. Um, or trust him, rather. Um, but she she does talk about that in this section, about whether she should have trusted Sir Creighton and Sir Illifer, two, two mm-hmm. knights that she met on the road. And, um, you know, Dick seems to be showing, you know... <laughs> Dick seems to be showing... Uh, <laughs> Dick seems to be showing. <laughs> Dick seems to be showing, you know, that he might be trustworthy as well. Um, but she's got these issues for sure that run deep, and I think it makes her second guess everyone she wants to trust. Yeah, and yes. we can't blame her. Like I'm sitting there reading this chapter, going like I remember reading it the first couple times through, and being like, "Don't trust this guy. Don't trust him. Don't trust yeah. him." Because we've been conditioned to not trust especially men that interact with Brienne. George has conditioned us to not trust them, just like she doesn't. Um, And this is a survival mechanism for her. Mm -hmm. This is how she has survived. And then I like how George just, he is like, he's conditioning us to not trust them. But then he throws in this little part when it starts raining about how Dick is soaked through his coat and she could see him shivering and Dick plowed on heedless. She was noting how he bent his back as if huddling low in the saddle would keep him dry. Right. So <laughs> it's on one hand, he's like, don't trust this guy. Ooh, but I'm going to make you feel a little bad for him. I'm going to make him look like a little wet puppy. <laughs> yes. I, I feel like I, I feel like the reader's been given a diet of both trust that that she should be trusting people and that she shouldn't i mean the whole the whole incident at at bitterbridge where these people are playing this cruel game with her is obviously many many points in the don't ever trust anyone again column but we also get the relationship with jamie in which you know he grows and they grow kind of to trust each other and Renly treated her with respect and, and seemed trustworthy as well. Um, and we get, it's a brief interaction, but she notes it herself with Sir Lilifer and Sir Creighton about how even these, you know, weird hedge knights, you know, trustworthy guys, she slept fine and everything came out okay. And maybe, right. she, sh- maybe she should trust people. Mm-hmm. So I think she's getting a diet of both and that makes it tough. Yeah. Yeah, if you sit back and look at it, you're like, oh, yeah, she could have. She could have trusted that guy, could have trusted that guy. But yeah. I think that it's George is purposefully writing this POV to make you not just along with yeah. her. And I found myself not. I didn't trust Creighton. In hindsight, it's easy to say, yeah, she should have. But uh, George played cruel tricks, at least with my mind, on some of these. Yeah. Well, I'm a woman, and so I can tell you that, of course, our reactions are extremely normal and womanly. Yes, don't trust Mm. random guys when you're alone, especially at night, I suppose. And I honestly have some questions now that we're talking about it. What would this chapter be? Because she repeats how she does not trust him, but how bad would it be if Podrick was not with them. I know he's mm, yeah. just a kid, right? But at least he's an extra pair of eyes that she can rely yes, on. Absolutely. And I think he, if that kid wasn't there, she would be paranoid. 
to go into the woods. She still is paranoid. This guy. I mean, but you're she right. is it... pretty bad. Eh? Yeah. It would be so much worse. And yes. I, I speak I... from a place of uh, mm. experience mm -hmm. with the concept. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, right? Yeah. Uh, we're recording during, well, in the US, it's Women's Week, which is a weird concept to me. I mean, every week should be Women's Week. Um, <laughs> it's such a weird thing to call out to me, but. Uh, I mean, the fact that we need to call it out is embarrassing, I guess. Um, but yeah, you're right. I, I, I've read accounts this week, uh, you know, of basically, seemingly, every woman has these experiences where they're just doing, going about their business in life and feeling threatened. And it's terrible. And you're mm -hmm. right. If Pod weren't there, even with Pod there, she's completely in the right to feel threatened and nervous even more I so guess. because she feels like she has to protect pod too yeah she feels her. responsible for this child yeah yeah the motherly component uh i guess i guess i'll probably get flack for this but it's hard to compare that situation with like you're already deciding to go out into this world of death and danger like you're gonna have to trust and take risks. You're gonna have. You're 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 putting yourself into situations now, going on the road by yourself with no one you trust. You're you're gonna come across people like she. It's kind of she's put herself in a, a rough situation here, right? She's got to sleep. She needs a guide. Right. What's she to do? Right. Yeah, that is different than you know walking to your car at night and feeling right. like you have to put your car keys between your fingers just walking to right. your car right or right you have to when you're passing a man and you're the only two people on the street and you feel like you have to pretend like you're talking on your phone just to feel safe right there's yeah like you said just outliving your life and right feeling like you have to do that and and she is outliving her life her life is just circumstances that are very dangerous right and yeah I, I certainly don't mean to minimize any of that um shall we move on sure you guys got more um as i she made uh, a nimble dick made brienne smile yes and i i looked up uh brienne and smile in a search of ice and fire and I only came up with two other instances where Brienne has smiled in the books. The first one was when she got her rainbow cloak from Renly. And the second was Creighton Longbow boasting about himself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The only times at least that I found in the search engine, the search of ice and fire, where Brienne uh -huh. smiled. So that's something. He's made the top three of three. And it's sad that it's just three. I, want, I mean, I wonder it's what you get from any of... From... From any POV, I wonder how many you'd get on average. That'd be an interesting study. Uh, but yes, Nick's got it in him to 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 bring fun. Yep. Yeah. Uh, okay. Let's get to know Ginny a little bit. You ready? Yeah. Spotlight's on. <laughs> Click. <laughs> Ginny, who are you? What drives you? What what makes what makes you you? So um, I know who I am. My name is Virginie. I, I know that much. 
I am <laughs> uh, of a certain age that is definitely nowhere near being a kid. And I do spend a lot of time with kids and sometimes have to remind myself, I am not a kid. So I think that mm -hmm. says a lot about me. And I... Yeah, don't remind yourself too much. Don't remind yourself too much. Well, I'm a teacher, so it. I kind of have to. <laughs> However, <laughs> when uh, I am not a teacher who has to remind herself to... No, I am not 14 and a half, this is sad. Um, I also hang out with a lot of kids in other situations that are not creepy, I have to say, that sounded creepy, it was not. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just, I spend a lot of my time at this art group called Seleka, where there are a lot of youth who are not as young as those uh, at the high school where I work, and who a lot of them can get some help um, to, 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 to better their lives, and they, do, they find that through art, that my friend uh, David Alatou is teaching them, and he's a painter, so he teaches that, but he encourages all the rest. And I find his work fantastic, so I actually do a lot for him. That is not the stuff I necessarily love, like, say, accounting. I can't even mm. count, but I do it because uh, it helps him help the kids of his community, and that is wonderful. Oh. And that's the kind of person I am, I think you can say. It's a very Brienne-esque thing. Yeah, I know. That's where, when you cast me as Brienne in your casting, you did the other time. I was like, come on, no, I am so not anywhere near as good as her. And I want to hope I'm also a bit smarter, like at reading <laughs> okay, people. Okay, yes. But, but, I, but, but I, I could couldn't see where you were coming from. Because, of course, I mean, you know me through Twitter, don't you? And I'm always talking about my kids. I talk about them as my kids. They're not even my students, most of them I talk about. I just spend so much time with them because I want That's to help awesome. them. And, and it takes so many different forms. And that is the person I am. I also co-founded a, a film festival here in Tonga because my Tongan friends asked me to join them because they knew I'm better at administration than they would be. And I'm like, sure, I'll do the administration, I'll do the platforming, I'll do whatever you want, so long as we get you and Tongan youth to tell stories, their stories, on a screen, which is not really wow. happening here. But this is just why we started this film festival in 2015, and this is what we're still doing to this day, and I think that's wonderful, and I'm really happy to be a part of something where I can help. Same as in the art group, I am a part of it, definitely not the person who started it. And well, at school, I guess I'm the teacher in my room. But, you know, that's mm -hmm. working with people is what I do. That's what drives me and helping where I am good at helping and not <laughs> telling you what to do when you know much better than me. So I attend, I think I have come to a place where I know my place and I try to stick there. And also, it's wonderful. I love, I love it. I love it where I am. That's great. There's some people that get to that point where they're like, I know my place and I stick there. And they say it kind of like that. I know my place and I yeah. stick there. So I love what you said that I know my place, I stay there, and I love it. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with knowing your place if you love it. 
And I think that's really cool and real admirable. And that must be really liberating too, to like, this is me, right? This is me. And because I think I'm, okay, the fact that I know, I think I know, I know my place is because people have kind of hinted at it. And uh, (laughs) that (laughs) these people I look up to because they're so incredibly good at what they do, actually ask for my opinion on what they do. And I'm like, are you sure you want to ask me? And they're like, yeah, sure. Your opinion is really, really great because this and that. And, you know, and I'm like, oh, okay, sure. Then I will That's happily wonderful. give you my opinion. And in no way my opinion should tell them what to do because that's not who I am. And they know that. So I appreciate it. Yeah. Fantastic. That's great. I mean, yeah, I, I'm, I find myself very jealous of you, which because I'm a terrible human. My instinct is <laughs> is jealousy. Uh, I, that's great. I mean, finding your place, man. I, that's. I don't feel like I have. I don't know. I, I mean, I, I guess I have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, the podcast, I guess, is the closest, right? With the with with the Twitter community, but it feels to me like you have surrounded yourself with people and situations that empower you and others and that you just embrace it that's man i feel like that's special it is yep um and that's also sorry go ahead go ahead well i was going to move on with kind of a new question so Uh, okay so let me tie up with your next question um that also exposes my weaknesses uh what i do because i didn't mention the personal stuff more like the stuff i do for like it's not work like it's maybe work i guess who knows um but also i have come to tonga eight years ago so i know i'm jumping ahead here and i came here never thinking i'm gonna stay here i came for two years and i've spent my adult life my entire adult life jumping from one place to the next why would i stay in this little island nation like seriously yeah it's Mm -hmm. great that so unexpectedly to myself i fell in love with the place because of its culture and this culture is the opposite of what i relate to which is family and christianity i guess and because (laughs) i have a long history of trauma with my family being in a country where Mm. everything is going around the concept of family and it's a big concept here because families are not just like mom dad and the kids it's right the third cousins here and you know and Mm -hmm. i I eventually now to this day i have two families here in tonga who call me a member of their family and at the beginning it really freaked me out it's for many reasons and now i'm loving it and when i had my tongan mom cry when i gave her my bread that i cut because my hair was below my butt when i would sit on it it was pretty annoying and i got it cut in i gave her the bread and that's a long story i won't explain tongan culture here but she was mad at me right for cutting my hair and then she cried when she realized i had kept the bread for her and yeah that meant so much to her and that's the day she finally said you're my daughter not that it was not obvious from before but anyway um this is the sort of things that 
that make me feel like I, I belong here and not just in what I do, but also in who I am. And I absolutely could not have imagined that before anything that went down. I love that. Uh, one of the first ways that you and I connected, Jenny, was talking yes. about Tonga. And um, mm. I've, I've got a brother who is, uh, who's married to a young lady whose family comes from Tonga. And yes. that's the first thing, as I've learned more about Tongan culture, that is the first thing that struck me is the emphasis on family. And I was going to ask you what brought you there in the first place. How did you um, end up going there? So I, um, as I was saying, I've been moving a lot uh, since I turned 20 and I'm 38 currently. Um, and... From the end of 2009 to the end of 2011, I was in Australia, and I am not joking, I was working at the French embassy there with the whole uh, Oceania network of French stuff. So I knew for a fact that there was no Alliance Française, which is like the uh, French Cultural Center network in uh, Tonga, but I saw one year after coming back to France, because I decided to spend some time with my family. Here I am after Australia. I had been away for six years. Oh my God, this story even makes sense. Yes. Hi, I can't tell a story straight. Um, so <laughs> after being away from France and pretty far, like we are talking other continents, um, for six years straight, I thought I should spend some time with my family. Came back to France after a while, remembered why I hated it. And... <laughs> Um, and I don't hate it. Something like that. And I saw totally randomly this ad for a volunteer position, kind of like your American, like US Peace Corps, but French, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in uh, in Tonga to start again the local Alliance Française. And I was like, well, I was still in this network a year ago. I am one hundred percent certain there has not been one in recent history and so i got really curious and i thought if considering what i'm uh the position was about and what they wanted and blah 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 i was like if i apply i get it so i spent 12 hours researching tonga online and it's hard to not find stuff for tourists when you're looking for yeah, culture. Like Tonga. And... Exactly. I was like, do I want to spend two years in this country? Yes, no. And uh, and I actually found on YouTube videos of Futa Hello uh, presenting cultural dances. And I was like, all right, I'm hooked up now. I mean, I read so much <laughs> more, but Futa is really who uh, hooked me up like for good. And I applied and I got the job, obviously. And... A few months later, I was here in Tonga. So I came to open a French cultural center and I told people at the embassy in Fiji, uh, there's no embassy here in Tonga, there's no other French here in Tonga when I arrived. Uh, the... <laughs> well, actually, I'm like, there was one. <laughs> uh, I told them, oh, well, you recruited a cheap person, that's me, a volunteer, to do this job, so don't expect me to work for fancy people. I'm a volunteer, I'm going to work for the Tongans. 
Mm. No conflict at all was ever started by this statement. It was great. <laughs> and this is also how I became very close to a bunch of Hongan people who were doing work for the community like very quickly because of this mindset. And that was amazing. And so, yes, when the Ministry of Education uh, approached me, the local Ministry of Education approached me to write the French language syllabus, so for the schools, like, yeah, sure, send me up. And so Let's I've worked it. for the, yeah, I worked for the Tongan Ministry of Education for two and a half years, and then I got this phone call, hey, could you come and take this position at Tonga High School? Because the teacher we recruited bailed out on us, and I was like, I don't, I, all my life I avoided to be a high school teacher. Sure, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like, ah, oh, man, I don't want to trivialize by summarizing, but it feels like it's just been one opportunity to help grow the community after another, that you just kind of fell into them yeah. one after another. These opportunities just kind of came to you. Is that, I mean, is that right? Sort of yeah, like. yeah, yeah, to a lot of extent, because like, as I mentioned, Futa Hello, like in my research on YouTube, ending up on YouTube is a bad sign. Um, the Futa was amazing. Now his eldest daughter is actually my best friend. Ah. You know, that's Tonga and how big it is. And I am, she is amazing in my life. And she's the president of the film festival. And I am the secretary. <laughs> and um, in 2014, so my second year in Tonga, I had to, for the French people, organize a art, contemporary Tongan art exhibition. Like basically they told me like do something big. It's like sure art. I like art and I have art friends. I mean I know art people here in Tonga. And so I became very close through curating this exhibition with especially two artists, so the founder and his number two of the Seleka art group. So they've known me. I mean we knew each other before, but uh I was like, Yeah, I want to work with these guys and and now I'm literally also the secretary of the art group. I do all the boring work, seriously, guys. But it's fine. No, I mean, it's maybe, maybe the work itself, yeah, like maybe the work itself is, you know, crunching some numbers or seems kind of, you know, I don't know, bleak sometimes. I, I mean, frankly, I think all work seems bleak sometimes. Yeah. But like, I just look at the stories that I'm hearing here and I'm like, so many people, they they look at their future and like, oh. I just know it. I'm going to get a desk job. It's unavoidable. I'm going to work nine to five. I'm going to do all these things. I just don't want to do it. And and you just didn't do it. You're like, nah, I'm going to go do this other thing. Mm -hmm. And you've just kind of carved out this life doing these different things. It's uh, it's uh, inspiring isn't the right word, but it, it's it is. Too. It I, is. And it's uh, I don't know. Yeah. You kind of found yourself in the process, right? Yeah, yeah in cool. so many wow. ways, yes. And also, I hate people who think I live the dream life and I'm traveling. No people. <laughs> in every single country no. where I've had an address, yeah. and there's nine of them, I was either working or studying. There was never a moment when I, I was on holiday in this country for like six months to, to, to eight years, yeah. like seriously. And yes, life is not wonderful all the time, no matter where you are. It does not change anything. And it just happens to be that 
in Tonga, I have found a lot of what makes me happy. And yes, this is amazing. And I have found people who also make me happy and that I can contribute to making happy. And I think this is the most important stuff in life. And yes, it's weird that it's in the opposite. Like if you look at a, uh, a globe, France mm -hmm. is here and Tonga is directly across. Like it, that's how far it is. And Not as far away as you could. <laughs> yeah, it's like the Nuku Alofa, the capital city I live in, the very close suburbs, uh, is the perfect opposite of Paris, where I was born in so many ways. And like Tongan culture is the opposite of French culture in so many ways. Even the things that are in common, like the focus on food, it's totally opposite. Like it's yes, as important sure. in both cultures, but it's still totally different. Like. I guess met at your um, brother's wedding, there must have been a feast and you would have seen the Tongans dive on the food and eat like so oh. fast. We went yeah? through three full uh, pigs. Oh my God, of like course the kind you did. Where the, the, the pigs are laid <laughs> out with the apple in the mouth. We went through yes, three of them. Like the three of pigs? Them. Yeah, the oh yeah, they were big. They were big. They were, big. They were <laughs> adult pigs. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, you know, like we also eat a lot in the French, um, French celebrations, but like, I wouldn't know how to explain, but the Tongans eat a lot and it's quality food, but it's like quick, quick, quick. The French, it's one, mm. uh, one dish after Dainty. the other. And we're going to sit there and talk. And this is when we do all the talking, which might bring drama and like something like Christmas. Christmas Eve, because that's when we celebrate, is maybe six, seven, eight hours sitting around the table. So, I mean, it's completely the opposite, but also well, it's the same yeah. because it's all around food. And yes, when a kaipola, so a feast, is organized, it is really important to either contribute or be there, depending on what side mm. of the family you're on. Right. Uh, and Tongan culture is so complex, and I am extremely grateful every day of my life for especially the women, but men too, I suppose, uh, the Tongan women who have guided me through Tongan culture, because here it's more like the woman's thing to do, and and have also met me who I am. And sometimes, I mean, I know for a fact that it's been the same for many, many years, like way before I came to Tonga, I have not been fully French for many years. You can't be fully whoever you are if you live so long out of your country, out of your references, out of your the stuff you're sure. used to. And and I've become way too Tongan to be French. And I've also I will never be fully Tongan. I will never be Tongan because I will always be French. Well, you know, it's this complex thing. You You are you, right? Yeah. You've become yeah, like you. That. And that's <laughs> That's what you have to be. Yep. Ah, uh, so, so, so interesting. Yeah. So different. Uh, a million other questions I'd probably like to ask you. But <laughs> mm -hmm. let's bring it back to Song of Ice and Fire. Yes. For for a moment before we get into <laughs> some other things too. Uh, what what who's your favorite minor character in Song of Ice and Fire? I know we've talked about a few. Yeah, it's really hard. I I still haven't made up my mind, and no, the answer is probably not Heil Hunt because he's not that <sighs> minor. Because he is not that minor. <laughs> uh, okay, um, okay. I don't know. I'm cheating. Mm. Am I cheating? Yeah, way. <laughs> I, I actually must say I love Braun, Book Braun. How oh, he's so good. I love him. 
I, I love yeah. assholes, okay? But my answer is going to be uh, my girlfriends. So Val at the wall, Roy up there, and mm-hmm. Miranda Royce. And it's okay. Jean and I share her. We are fine with this situation. We're fine with that situation. <laughs> Jean's willing to share. You're willing to share. That's good. This works out. That's a that's quite the little crew. I can see that Val, Jenny, and Miranda Royce together. I mean, yeah, I could see. Val would be this weird, mysterious havoc. woman, and and Miranda and I are just gonna be like, oh my god, she's weird, but she's still hot. It's gonna be I love great. It. Yeah. Yeah. So let's have Jenny throw out a recommendation, a wreck, and then talk a about wreck. why you chose this chapter. Yep. Oh, why I chose this chapter first? No, no, throw out a wreck first, and then we'll let the why you chose the chapter. Oh, wait, we need to do the patron thank you anyways. So, no, we're good. We do. Yeah. What's a, a recommendation for anything? A book, a band, a movie, a show. That I recommend. All right, yes. so I, um, as a proud co-founder of the Nuku Alofa Film Festival, I cannot not recommend Tongan movies. Uh, and I am going to recommend everybody get on their Facebook page and go check the Nuku Alofa Film Festival page where we have a playlist of short movies that have been created for the film festival, except one. And they are amazing. Now, if you wanted to learn more about Tonga in a documentary form, um, so I have to rep my friend Vea uh, Mafileo, who, who directed a, a wonderful documentary called For My Father's Kingdom, that is about her father and her and her siblings' relationship to him and to him being a Tongan when they have a uh, British New Zealand mother and grew up in mostly in New Zealand. So it's hmm. I relate to this movie on so many ways. Not that my parents are bicultural, but they are actually. That's a fact. But also, it's an amazing documentary, and I think there's so much to learn about Tonga in there. Another documentary is Latis, L-E-I-T-I-S, Latis in Waiting, like a ladies in waiting, except it's Latis, oh, okay. about the Laiti community of uh, Tonga. So the Laitis are basically the indigenous Tongan word, although it's not so indigenous. I mean, it's explained mm-hmm. in the documentary. Uh, name for what would, in the Western world, be the LGBTI plus oh. community. And this documentary is so good. Like, it's probably the best documentary I've ever seen. Like, I, I think it might be better than Vez, although I love Vez more. And if you're French... You may find it somewhere with French subtitles that I wrote because I told Vea I didn't want anybody else to write them because I love them that much. But for Ladies in Waiting, I didn't do the French subtitles, but I'm pretty sure they have to be good anyway. Um, but this movie was not made by Tongans. Uh, it was made by American, I mean, Americans and one Hawaiian. And anyway, we worked so closely. They worked so closely. I was not involved, sadly. But, um, and now for something more famous, and that is from the region, not Tonga, I mean, Taika Waititi. If you haven't watched his movies, I mean, Thor Ragnarok is amazingly good. I love it. I love it. But you must watch his other movies. 
uh, I would say start with boy, if you like to cry while you're also laughing. And I would then tell you watch Hunt for the Wilder People. I mean, watch them all. But Hunt for the Wilder People, I watched in Canada at this cinema in Ottawa. Uh, and I was alone laughing at half the jokes because Ma Maori humor <laughs> is really similar to Tongan humor. And I understood jokes that the Canadians were missing. But at the end of the movie, they were clapping. That's how good this movie oh, wow. is. So Taika, I mean, watch whatever Taika does because Taika is an absolute legend. And uh, also watch indigenous film and series in general because there is another world there and you don't even need to write fiction for this world. It's a, it's a real world of people who think and live differently and they can tell amazing stories. And that is what Taika does. Taika is an artist on top of that. And he is freaking amazing. That's it. Ah, very good. Jojo Rabbit impacted oh, yes. me significantly when I watched that one. Uh, I gotta see that. It, 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 uh, it's one I, of those that French I don't person, know. If, yeah. I was gonna say oh. I don't know if it's one that I really want to watch again, but it impacted uh. me so significantly that I don't like feel like I need to. Like it, there's parts of it that are really difficult to watch. <laughs> But yes. it sticks with you. It's beautiful. So that's the last movie I saw in the cinema before coming back to Tonga, and then there was oh. a pandemic. And then there was a pandemic. Yeah, I was traveling in Australia uh, that summer because it's summer here in January. Yes, it is. I feel like, and then there was a pandemic. Is the way a lot of sentences are going to end in the future. Right. <laughs> uh, all right. What? Tell us why you chose this chapter. Okay, I took notes. I won't start with yes, the obvious. <laughs> so, um, first of all, I actually really enjoy travelogues because mm. I have this problem of visualizing things in my mind. I, I don't do that. So when they're traveling, always through the kind of the same um, place, kind of landscape, I can make images to match that if that makes sense mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. also because this chapter in particular of all the travelogues is full of stories and i do love stories i even studied narratology back when i was a uni student in my first uni life so how do you tell a story and so this story has mythical stories like sir clarence crab uh, sir galadon of morn the squishes it has mm -hmm. history as in like history book story with the crackle uh, point stuff it has personal stories that brian doesn't tell out loud like the bit in uh, Peter bridge the melee how she killed piglets and lambs to become a fighter mm -hmm. all of that is yeah. in this story and i think yeah. this makes this chapter extremely rich and now for the most obvious stuff, because you know me well, that's where we see Nimble Dick. And my <laughs> favorite asshole of them all, Heil Hunt. Yes. Yes, I love assholes. We'll get to him. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I, I'm, I'm with you, Jenny. I love the travelogue chapters, because not because I love hearing about the woods and the mountains and the rocks, but because so often when he's 
telling about the woods and the mountains and the rocks, we get to hear, we get to hear the thoughts of the people who's, you know, when you're traveling, that's what happens. Your brain wanders to your past and your future. And we get to hear some of the best thoughts of these characters in those travelogue chapters. That's why I like them. Yeah. I'm with you. Very good. All right. Should we jump into summary part two? Oh, yeah. Uh, do we need to do our patron thank you? Oh, we do need to do our patron patron thank you. Yeah. Thank you, patrons. Uh, for patrons at the Dirty Cab Driver level and up, we uh, we list off those supporters. We'll do that now. Uh, first, start off with a little congratulations to one of our Blood Riders. This one, Blood Rider, this one, Dirty Cab Driver, who is celebrating a recent engagement. Congratulations, friend. Congratulations. One of our best commenters on Patreon posts and stuff. Love him. Yes. Love him. Always make Very him smile. Much. Yep. Then we have uh, some new additions at the Dirty Cab Driver level, but ones that we've known for a long, 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 long time. First of all, the aforementioned Lindsay F. Yes, welcome. We have also Little Wolf Bird, who you guys might know from some other podcasts, the Silent Sisters uh, among them. And, of course, our buddy K-Dub Dent, Batman of the Seven Kingdoms. That's right. Moving on to the rest of the Dirty Cab Drivers, we have the heir of House Tyrell. We have Katrina L., we have Mr. J, the red shirt in black. Cat Spearborn, the bar, no. the bard of oh, the bard of legends, Aaron M. <laughs> Gib. Ghost Chase Killer. Bobby S. Jeff H. And of course, Lady Fatass Red. And our reach around level, we have B Word, the Queen Beyond the Wall. And a Team John Misa, our Queen of Gifts and Beauty. Thank you to all of our patron supporters listed at the Dirty Cab Driver level or not. Thank you so much for supporting us, uh, and thanks to everyone that supports us, not on Patreon, but in other ways. Uh, wouldn't be doing it without you guys. Thank you. That includes you, Jenny, so thank you. Yay! Absolutely. <laughs> Do you want to <laughs> kick us off for this uh, summary for this next part? Of course. The next day of riding finds them at the sheer stone bluff up to the keep of the Bruins. It's a steep climb in a mostly hidden path. But Dick leads them. Way up, though, Rod sees a rider behind them, perhaps following them. Brienne looks accusingly at Dick, but he insists he has nothing to do with that rider. Yeah, they finish the climb and leave the dire den quickly, out into the wilderness. Dick says the road is no more after this. He assures them, though, that he knows the way, uh, and the rider is unlikely to be able to follow them with no road. Uh, to lead them yeah no way only our tracks thinks Brienne mm. still she thinks Dick is right and they head on into a dreary gloomy wood that drinks in all sounds and creates a rather cheerless atmosphere it weighs on all of them and the next day's no better bogs and swamps and mires and caves oh my ruined old strongholds and trees fog everywhere trees and fog Brienne certainly would have been lost in the pines, in the pines, where the sun don't ever shine, without Dick. Oh and she starts losing her patience and demands to know how much longer. But Dick assures her that the trees are thinning and the narrow sea is just beyond. But doubt creeps in for Brienne again. Yeah. Is he leading them in circles for the rider to catch up? Is he leading them to a den of friends of his that will rob them? 
She thinks the time of his treachery is near, and she resolves to be ready should she need to kill him and not to hesitate. But it wouldn't come to that, because the next day, they round a boulder, and just ahead of them is an old tumbled-down keep. The Whispers. Have a listen. You can hear the heads. It really is a wrecked place, with much of the keep having fallen into the ocean, along with the steps that smugglers used to use to climb the cliff. Here they were, though, and Dick started getting nervous. If the fool was going to be angry at him for sending him all the way out here. But Brienne was not worried about any danger that might be posed by Dantos Holland. Of course, we know this is not Dantos. He was killed long ago by Bellish. So who is this? Yeah, they make their way around the keep and find an entrance and evidence of others already being there. A berry bush mostly eaten and some broken branches carving their way to the keep. But something inside her tells Brienne that this is not Sansa. She's not going to find Sansa here at all. So why is she doing this? Well, still, she must go see. She has Podrick bring her Oathkeeper, then guard the horses. She gives the extra sword to the quick cock crustacean. Her trust issues set aside for the moment and heads into the broken keep. Cock. <laughs> so... <laughs> That was a, a, love, a lovely, impromptu uh, piece of singing. Jenny, thank you for that. I, yeah. I didn't sound good. Anyway, I am not a great singer, so it doesn't matter. And yes, this chapter is in the pines, like literally almost all the time, especially that section. And yeah, when I read in the pines, I have the Nirvana version of that song, like straight in my head. This is what happens when you grow up. And you're a teenager in the 90s, I suppose. <laughs> uh, I didn't get into um, it in the summary. Oh, sorry, you got something, Matt? Go ahead. No, go ahead. You go ahead. Well, I didn't get into the summary, but at the top of uh, at the top of the the cliff, kind of that they that they go up with their horses there, before they really head deep into the pines. It's noted that Dick is a deserter. He's got a, a patch pull off of his clothes. Um, and it's not something I, I thought a whole lot about before, but I, I think Dick is, he's a stage of a broken man. We're, yeah. we're one chapter away, I think, from, from getting the broken man speech, uh, in Brian's next chapter. It might be two away. I don't remember. Two, but, uh, two away, I think. Two away. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. But Dick is, he's been through war and he's a little messed up i think yes that is in my notes it is like we meet the a broken man before we hear the broken man speech and i think that is very well done by george for obviously like he's an amazing writer but i mean dick is a harmless broken man and mm -hmm. uh septon marybold warns of all sorts of broken men, and he probably focuses on the dangerous kind, I suppose, but here we are meeting the harmless type before Septon Marybold warns us of the nothing is as dangerous as a deserter yeah. kind. One of the things that he says in that speech is, is just that, you know, at some point he slinks away 
in the night and stays in barns and lives on whatever subsistence he can find. And, you know, Dick's maybe not quite that bad, but he could get there mm-hmm. with a, a couple bad weeks and he'd be right there. And, um, you know, he, he's maybe a different kind of broken man than, than what Maribald's talking about, or maybe he's just not quite there yet. Right. We're three for three. I also wrote down, is Dick a broken man? (laughs) Um, And uh, yeah, I think, you know, meeting the maybe the physical description, yes. But Maribald talks about these broken men who've lost kind of a sense of their humanity. They steal away daughters, killing for whatever they like, basically becoming bandits, forgetting all about home. There's a part Mm -hmm. where he talks about forgetting all thoughts of home. And Dick certainly hasn't done that, no, as we've talked ad nauseum no. about. But yeah, you mentioned you called him harmless, Shani, and Scad. You mentioned he's he's a couple steps away, probably. Yeah, there's a certain amount of character and personality and humanity that uh, Dick seems to have preserved yeah. um, emotionally and mentally that <clears throat> maybe the broken men that Maribald's talking about didn't where they've kind of lost that sense of humanity and are just living to live without any empathy or <clears throat> any thought of, of charity or even thinking about other people. And Dick still has managed to kind of hold on to the humanity of it all, which is pretty cool. Even though he, I think he meets the physical description of what we might call a broken man. You know what, Max? Yes. You convinced me. Uh, I, I don't think you were trying to convince me, but you convinced me. Um, but I think he isn't maybe a broken man. Uh, you know, Maribald says uh, near the near the beginning of that speech uh, that a man can break in his first, or he can break in his hundred and first. And yes, um, you know, perhaps Dick saw what war was, that it wasn't for him, uh, and slinked away before he broke. Um, yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. And and that's why he's maintained this you know, these, these colorful things that you pointed out as love for home and, and all these other things is his humor. Um, maybe he got, maybe he got out before he was broken. Sure. Yeah. I like that. Pete. Mm. <sighs> so would we call him this then label him? And I'm not saying we need to label everybody, but, uh, maybe just a deserter, just simply yeah. a deserter. Yeah. Also, he yeah. claims he's a crab, but th- that interaction with the Bruins fe- felt a little weird, too. Um, you know, that, that maybe hmm. he was afraid of being recognized. Um, you know, he wanted to get out of there pretty quickly. Um, he knew quite a bit about the Bruins and how many children yeah. were in there and you know, things like that. Uh, I wondered if maybe he's... I don't know. He knows a lot about the crabs, too, so I don't want to say he's not a crab, but... Um, Seemed like he knew some things about the Bruins. I well, never thought of that. Mother is a Bruin. Yeah, I did think of that because maybe. the only crab castle we see is a ruin. Yeah. I'm like, where right. do two of these crabs live? So mm. maybe his mother is one and his father is the other. And then I would have to say he's saying he's a crab because he relates more to his mom, who was nice and who told him all these stories. But probably his name is Bruin. Yeah. And so that would make him Sir Luther Bruins. Brother, half cousin, relative, relative of some yeah. kind, relative of sorts, and um, yeah. So we know where the men, like the young uh, men of fighting age, bronze are at least one of them, with little finger. Mm, nice people. Mm-hmm. No, that's not true. <laughs> he did save 
Sansa from being raped by Marillion, whatever his name is. Yes, he did. So, okay, Lothalbrun is a good man in service of a terrible one. I wouldn't go so far (laughs) as to say Lothalbrun's a good man. I don't know. I mean, he did a good thing. Uh, I don't know. I I can talk about bad guys doing good things or good guys doing bad things. Like, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But maybe he's okay. I mean, we don't don't get a lot of terrible stuff about him. And um, anyway. Uh, I did read up that Lothor, and it is it is uh, uh, a little ironic that they're sitting there at the Brune's keep. She's looking for Sansa, and Sansa is with a Brune at that moment. Yeah. Um, but uh, it, it, according to the wiki, I don't know that I remember reading this passage anywhere in the books. Lothor is like a distant cousin to these Brunes. Hmm. Like he's from a more poorer offshoot and these ones kind of seem kind of poor anyways uh <laughs> compared to maybe like the starks or something but um he's kind of from a poor offshoot cousin of these brunes mm. i like that idea of old nimble dick maybe not being as crab as he says he is hmm. yeah. yeah i don't know i mean but maybe he just he grew up like idolizing clarence and so he got to a point where nobody knew who he was anymore so he's like i could be who i want to be and you know what exactly be a crab <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting. He he talks uh, in this section that we read. I wasn't covered in the summary, but um, you know, Ginny's right. This is a ruined castle they're going to, and they call it the Whispers. Yeah. If you haven't read the books in a while, you don't might not remember why. Um, so we'll drop that in really quickly. You get that in a previous chapter that um, Sir Clarence himself would kill people and bring back their heads, and his wife was like a woods witch and would bring them back to life by kissing them on the lips, and then they wouldn't. The, the heads wouldn't shut up and so the the castle has this sound of kind of like whispering heads as you approach it and it's really just the ocean um but but he all of that backstory just to get to this um dick gives the impression that he's been here bef- when he was younger so i don't think he grew yeah. up here it is a ruined castle and you get the sense it's been ruined for a while the way it's overgrown mm-hmm. with trees and everything but right. he's been here so so it does feel i don't i don't want to go too far off the deep end that he's not a crab he's been here for some reason maybe you know mm-hmm. his ancestors brought him back here to to show him the old keep right um you know the the old family keep even though it's ruined uh or something but yeah where where do these people live i don't know i like i like, I yeah. like the wife or the the mother theory yeah that idea of uh one being brune and one parent being a crab i like that yeah um, we do only know of one other crab in story currently living, and that's Red Jack Crab, who's a member of the Night's Watch. I was going to say, that's a Night's Watch name. <laughs> it is. He's mentioned, I think, once in a John chapter. Yeah. Uh, and that's it. That's all the crabs we get. Uh, one is we mentioned... memorable, the other is not. <laughs> <laughs> yet, not yet. Yet. Uh... We do get uh, this feeling from Brienne, this, um, you brought up earlier, Matt, that, that, that she's she's got this sense that she needs to go out and do this good thing, right? And most people don't even, most of the people in the story don't even operate under that. And so she's way, way too hard on herself because she's at least trying to do good things, right? And one of the things that really jumps out at me about this chapter is when she when she has this deep 
instinctual feeling that Sansa is not here. They could have just left. And she's like, there's something menacing and bad here. I need to stop it. Like, mm -hmm. she's a friggin' superhero. And she has a sense of justice and good within her that makes her act on that behalf. And it's pretty awesome to see. I love it. Yes. Like, she needs to, like, I need to root this out. I need yeah. to get to the bottom of this. Why? Whatever it's it not is, your problem. even if Sansa's not here. Right? Like, it's not your problem. You can get out. Go. No. Yeah. No, there's a problem. <laughs> this is there's some evil here. <laughs> yeah, scary. I was one. What do you do? Either of you have any ideas of what where that feeling came from? Podrick says this is a bad place. Podrick felt it too. Um, is there kind of like? And of course, I think of like Dagobah in Star Wars mm. and the the pit where you can feel the dark side, right? The tree and. Mm. Uh, I don't know. Do you have any ideas of what led to that feeling of it being a bad place? Is there something that an evil force or something that permeates the area beyond just like Shagwell and Timian being there? What do you guys, any ideas? I have notes. I didn't think of them in hmm. that way, but I have noted a lot of um, things in this chapter that, especially in this section, that bring back to that remind of the of the prologue of a Game of Thrones, mm. like how mm. Brienne remarks that um, when she's unseizing as the Oathkeeper. Oh my God, Oathkeeper! Um, mm -hmm. So she remarks that the Valyrian steel sounds sharper than ordinary swords. And and right after that thought, she says, with me, to Nimble Dick. And mm. yeah, and I actually checked. And um, the Royce guy, he, in the prologue. Waymar. I mean, no, the Will, who is up a sentinel pine, and they are surrounded by sentinel pie, uh, in when Brian is having this thought. So Will, up in his sentinel pride, is like, oh, wow, this uh, sword that the other is using looks sharp as a razor or something so he's also like doing all, wow. all about this looks sharper and and then that's when the royce guy who probably has a first name says Wait dance more. with me then so brienne doesn't say dance with me she says with me which is one word away from dance with me as you might notice and and like there's a few <laughs> other callbacks i mean they're in the pines like will being up in a pine when he's watching um uh, the whole scene happened with the with the other. So I'm like, is Pod onto something here? Like, is Pod a good detector for when the others come? Like, keep Pod by your side. He might be useful. Hmm. I never would have even thought of connecting this scenes. to the prologue of Game of Thrones. Yeah. Wow. Love yeah, it. I didn't think it until I was rereading for uh, this, and I was like, oh, wow, that's funny. This reminds me of something, and that might be because I'm a, a non-native speaker of English. Certain words tend to stick with me, Send or expressions yeah. or something, mm -hmm. that you would not probably notice. But with me, I'm like, why did I struggle on this one? I have no idea, but maybe because of how I was trying to pronounce it. You know, that happens. And 
that stuck, that's really stuck. And so when I was reading this thing about the blade sounding sharper uh-huh. and then uh-huh. her saying with me, like, oh, I've seen that before. Uh-huh. Interesting. Wow. Love it. Uh, yeah. Love it. I, I don't, I, yeah, and, and they sense something in the wood in, the, in that prologue and Brienne senses something here too, right? Uh, exactly. Something evil mm-hmm. about the place or something not and, and right about the place. Yeah, and Pod Pod senses something not right. They all feel it. It's noted that as they're walking, it, it feels oppressive and heavy for all of them. Um, no, Dick tries singing, and it says, "It says the yeah, he can't finish the songs. Yeah, that's true. He, yeah, it says the wood kind of swallows them up, and he just kind of gives up singing. Like it's it's dreary even for him, someone who's been there a lot. I got the sense that it it was more just the still quiet lack lack of life." that was kind of yeah. oppressing them, Matt, and, and all fog can do it too and and all that. When they get to the keep though, yeah, there's something there's something else making Brienne kind of stand too. And I, I don't know to put it down to anything other than instincts. I she feels spidey sense. Yeah, she mm. feels very strongly that that Sansa wouldn't have come all this way out here. She no. this is not a road she would have taken they wouldn't have come this way. It just doesn't, she's just all of the whole gestalt of the experience is making her realize that she, who she's looking for is not here. Yes. And this it's instinct. So I don't have anything other, any other way to put it than that. I think. I, I would, I don't know if you need to put it any other way. Yeah. Mm. Agree. Yeah. Same. Um, um. I have two more notes for this, uh, no, three actually, or four, for this chapter that I don't Welcome know, to I'm... Davos Fingers. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> I really want to throw at least like one quickly, if that's an easy one. Podrick says he can fight, and come on, we know this is true. Um, and somewhere else, totally unrelated. Brienne says the most southern thing possible in these books. She says, most old castles had a god's food. Like, wow, you're so not a northerner, because obviously in the north, every castle has a god's food. But she's like, mm-hmm. well, only the old castles. Right, so that's yeah. That's fun, cultural differences. And, mm-hmm. okay, are we ready for me entering... Deep analysis. Territory. I'm ready. Ooh, Bring it. She's holding her book up, everybody. She, yes. She's going As to you be can reading see, something. I, I am going <laughs> to read something. So. Go. The forest floor was a bed of fallen needles as thick as a castle wall, littered with plantains. <gasps> yes! Mm. So, I actually did a search because I'm that kind of person. This is a brilliant chapter. Thick as a castle, uh, castle wall. Come on, we know that her granddad or whatever, Sir Dunk, right? And Sir Dunk. This absolute, like precise statement only appears four times in the published book series. I am not including the other books, like only the A Song of Ice and Fire proper. The first time is in the prologue of A Sword, A Storm of Swords, when uh, Lark the Sister Man refers to small Paul as being thick as a castle wall. 
Then later in the same book, in John's Psalm 2, sorry, uh, grain teases, no, not at all, Pip teases grain by saying the same. In uh, the same book, in James 5, James tells Brienne she is thick as a casserole, and now we have in A Feast for Crows, Brienne looking at this forest floor and being like, yeah, as thick as a casserole. And yeah. first of all, I want to say I am pretty sure this, um, this wall that she's talking about right now, that is the floor, is not a descendant of Sir Dunk. Hmm. I, I I don't know. I don't know if there's enough there. Way to, way to go out on a limb. Hmm. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I, I want to go back to what Matt said in the previous section about uh, about Selwyn and, you know, how he raised her and what kind of things he instilled. This is not a thing he instilled, maybe, but a phrase that was heard around mm -hmm. when she grew up. It's a phrase that comes to her mind. It's also apparently a phrase that's... Uh, not never used. used we see people yeah. you know other people use it so it's it's something that's used sometimes but i feel like it's something that to compare the needles on the floor to being thick as a castle wall that's something you heard quite a bit growing up it's yes. not that's not a that's normal comparison you'd she make uses it no yeah right so she it's the only time she says it and mm -hmm. it's also the only time it is used not to describe a person. So I thought yeah. that was interesting. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah. So that was me uh, clarifying that this is not something only used to describe Sir Dunk's uh, offspring. <laughs> and then I have another thing, because of course I am the um, high hand lover of this fandom. I'm not the only you one, wish. actually. I'm really happy. Yeah, I know. There are some really whew, dedicated ones. Anyway, I'm the one who calls him an asshole. I'm not the only one. We are at least two of us calling him. Oh, he's such an asshole. Love him. Um, so he... It's really sneaky how George builds up that it is him. It's wonderful. So when, uh, oh, mm -hmm. when they're up the cliff... Brienne says, you know, oh, well, who's this guy following us, Nimble Dick? And he's like, it's no one. And anyway, he can't find us. He can't follow. There's no road. And she's like, yeah, only tracks. Tracks are what hunters follow, right, mm -hmm. to hunt. And yeah, later on, it is beautiful. I have a quote. Where is it? I know uh, the one. Oh, I know the line. Yeah, yeah. you know the one? Yeah. Uh, that I didn't think about it until now. He had given up the hunt. The hunt. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. The guy is... Hile hand. Also, yeah. I, you uh, know George wrote to... that and was just like patting himself on the back. He's like, hey. yeah. And um, I find something really important to share. Hile hand is not a squisher because Nimble Dick says to Pat, Pat being worried this might be a squisher following them. And uh, Nimble Dick is like, no, these ones don't ride horses. So yes, we are happy to confirm. Hile hand. Just a regular asshole, not a squisher. Not a squisher. I'm glad to that's that not too. even. I feel like you're not even going out on a limb on that one. I feel like textually <laughs> we can be pretty certain that's true. Um, I'm still not buying the whole pine needles aren't a descendant of Dunk, but 
I I will buy uh, Heil Hunt is not a squisher confirmed. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, if, I I wonder. Do you think Brienne made the right choice in continuing on? I feel like stopping there at that high ground and waiting for him would have been the better choice. I feel like uh, just for my sanity, that's what I would want to do because yeah. I couldn't yeah. keep going and like focus on anything else knowing that someone was behind me. Maybe yeah. that's just my personality and others can compartmentalize those things, but I wouldn't be able to, to go on knowing that there's someone potentially following me. Yes. I'd have to know who it was. Yeah. How fast are they? Do they have a bow? Can they shoot me in the back when they get close enough? I would have been a, a wreck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But mm. she's made of sterner stuff than me, so I guess yeah, it's okay. This is true. This is I've true. got a I got a comparison uh, for you. I yeah, am reminded of uh, Podrick reminds me of Bran. A little bit. Mm. Okay. It gives us yes. a view of what Bran might have been. The truth. Right? He loves the stories. He's scared by him, but you can kind of tell he like he likes it. Right? And he's you know wants and, to be a squire. Uh, he's amazing loyal. at observing. Yeah. I mean, Bran can see like green, green sight is pretty useful to Bran, I suppose. But uh, Pod does not seem to have that. Observer. But he he is such an amazing observer, and it's um, it's fantastic. I love Pod. I love Pod. He's my child. Yeah, you mentioned that line where he says, "I can fight." And Brienne's yeah. like, eh, I don't know if you really can, yeah, but know. we, the readers, know this guy was at the friggin' Blackwater. He killed yes. a member of the Kingsguard. Yes. <laughs> this and kid can someone, fight. Like, seriously, this kid is just like, you want him on your team. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting. She, like, she's, she backs it up in the previous chapter. She talks about, he's like, well, he maybe lived, but it's only because nobody tried to kill him. Because, like, she is training him and working with him, and she's like, he's not good. So. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, he um, kind of kind of like Tyrion and his battles, maybe just kind of poking when the when it makes sense and just kind of living through it. And it's the instincts, yeah, yeah, instincts. About. Yeah, there are certain people that are just kind of like survivors, you know. It goes back Pot. to what Ginny said about you want him on your team. Pod mm. is definitely a survivor. Can we go back to the dunk stuff for just a second? Is this a good oh, enough yeah. time to? Go down do that rabbit hole a little sure, more. Sure, do it. <laughs> so yeah, the Jamie saying, "Are you thick as castle wall?" Um, uh, this one, Radio Westeros pointed this one out to me. Yoke boy and Lady Gwen. It's completely obvious. I can't believe I didn't make the connection before. Jamie is a descendant of oh, Rowan Weber. Yeah. Brienne, a descendant of Sir Duncan the Tall. That's a fun little connection. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Darren said to Dunk in the Night of the Seven Kingdoms, I dreamed of you. He said that twice to Dunk. And that's the exact line that Jamie says to Brienne mm. when he comes back to save her from the bear. And she says, why did you come back? And he says, I dreamed of you. Yes. That exact line. Um, little, little things like that. Neither one were anointed knight knights. I guess Germ confirmed in a Sospake Martin, I didn't know this, that Dunk was not knighted by Arlen of Pennytree. Yeah. No, because yeah, he would it's be something knighted. I think yeah. he, he kind of wants us to guess, but never outright said it. And mm -hmm. 
And it's kind of one of the things that adds interest to Dunk, right? Like, he's kind of a Ned, right? Like, so honorable, and you think he'll never do the wrong thing, but, like, his whole life is based on this lie. Is based on a lie. That's true. Yeah. Just like Ned, right? Then, uh, of course, the obvious one is the, the shield. I didn't even feel like we have to bring that up. but Oh, yeah. I was going to bring it up in the next section, because why the hell isn't she using it? <laughs> she, like, she's dragging this heavy, heavy oak shield around. <laughs> She gets she it painted, it and she doesn't even use it in a battle. She didn't she want to really... get it all scraped up, man. It's brand new. I mean, she doesn't yeah. really need it, I guess. With this, I mean, maybe she's using it, not just, just not mentioning it because the thing doesn't do anything. I don't know. It's possible. Yeah, it's it's possible that uh, that George just never put it into the into the script of the fight. But, um, man, definitely would hope she'd use it. I think mm. she just didn't want to spoil the paint job. Yeah. Yeah. It, Fair point. It's, <laughs> Beautiful it's painting, a, too. I just paid for this. Right. <laughs> it's like that guy that goes out and buys the $5,000 guitar and then puts it in a guitar case and yeah. you don't want to ruin it, you know? Or like, Kevin Arnold with his rollerblades. There you go. Yes. <laughs> uh, uh, that's how I got on Dunk. But... Yeah. I. Mm-hmm. The shield thing is bothering me now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Anything else in this section? We're kind of we're baiting the hook for the for the big one. There, there is yeah. a nice story about her training with uh, Goodwin. Yes. Um, yeah, that'll and come up. hesitation and all that. I don't. I don't know if we really really need all that. Well, she starts think... here and then yeah, she finishes it during the fight itself. That same story. Oh, does she? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah, yeah. Because she says, "How look at me, Sir Godwin. Like I am totally killing this guy." Oh, I didn't hesitate. You would be proud yeah. of me. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't yeah. flinch. Yeah. Uh, just a quick thing: that kissing of the heads feels an awful lot like the kiss of, or the last kiss, the, or kiss of life. Fire kiss. Yeah. The that have come kiss. up before. Oh, sorry. Oh. Thirst of madness. Sorry. What? Hello. Lord's mm. kiss. Mm. Mm. What? <laughs> mm. Hey, you great? Yeah, that one. Um, you know, it absolutely does sound like. So, I mean, you remember how Arya asks, uh, Beric, no, Thoros of Mir, Thoros. could yeah. you resuscitate a man who's been beheaded? And it looks like the answer is you could resuscitate only his head. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which she just misunderstood. Kind of... I pulled up that that exact line. Uh, Could you bring back a man without a head? Arya asked, and yes. he kind of dances around the question. But she understood it as a no. But yeah. yes, we need to make the distinction that we're not talking about the body, just the head. <laughs> well, you need to kiss him, and you're not like a lord, I suppose. Mm -hmm. So you will you be have a kissing place his kiss. mouth. So yeah, yeah I mean, you uh, need that head to resuscitate Ned, and it's only gonna be the head. Yeah, yeah. Are you okay with that, Arya? Can you live with that? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Scared I, it's late, but I, you, I don't think you can bring back a man without a head, but you can bring back a man with some head. That's what I'll say. That's deep, deep wisdom. Thank you. And now we're at Davos' fingers. <laughs> Thank you for bringing us back to where we need to be. 
uh, had my ongoing uh, how I finally stopped playing and admitted that I love some dick segment, but we kind of covered it mostly already. Hmm. Uh, I'm a crab, of course. I know how to use a sword. The arrogance when we see what actually happens. Uh, hmm. uh, you know, one one thing I love. He's a guide. He didn't have to go in. He'd been like, I that's got true. you here. Where's my gold? But yeah, he went true. in. He went in. He stuck by her and he's like, I'm with I'm with you on this. Let's go. Um Yeah, that's enough. <laughs> I like okay. the part where he's like, oh, I can't find the quote now. Darn it. Um <laughs> My, my, oh here it is um where he's talking about how it's the heads that are whispering yeah and brienne's like no it's not it's the waves and he's like waves don't whisper it's heads, it's heads. yeah <laughs> yeah he's one of those guys that would be like really annoying to argue with it's like it doesn't yes. matter what point you make he just repeats his last point it's like waves I just... don't whisper it's heads yeah uh, so him. yeah this you're right you're right the severed head makes more sense yeah than the waves yep yeah i, I feel <laughs> totally. you. you know what you're right you've been right the whole time <laughs> it's that's fine mm-hmm. <laughs> let's go get anyway, a clap okay. going off <laughs> yeah i'm done now <sighs> should we get to know Ginny a little bit more uh it's my favorite part let's do it yeah this is this is a little bit more focused on the Song of Ice and Fire and how you found the fandom and stuff. What so what is what is your Ice and Fire story like? How did you come to the series and how did you find it? Um, so I don't watch TV, therefore I didn't have any Game of Thrones in my life. I knew it existed because so many people were talking about it, but that was it. And the year is two thousand thirteen. I have arrived in Tonga, and and I tell you that links back to you. Um, my beautiful Tongan friend who grew up in Salt Lake City and was mm-hmm. in the Tongan Crips. Um, mm. Yes, he has a tear tattooed around under his eye and all. So not the kind of person you would imagine would recommend a book to you, but he's an amazing person. So stop like freezing at appearances, is what I'm saying. So Eli was like, oh, you're going to love this book. It's amazing. It's got like Ah, uh, stuff in it. And that was really unclear, but magic and dragons <laughs> and hot princes were part of the stuff. And I was like, well, I, I'm not at all into dragon stuff, sorcerer stories. And, mm-hmm. and you know, like, try to explain uh, the story of the book, A Game of Thrones, without telling you what it is, like, like not telling you the story, like not spoiling it for you, but also trying to get you to read it. That was hard. He was like, that is not at all what the story is about. Like, well, that's literally just what you told me. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll take your book. So the book was in my bedroom for months and months. And I actually lent it out to another friend and she returned it to me and told me it's great. And I was like, oh man, I don't read fantasy. I'm such an <laughs> idiot. And... Fast forward one year later, I got dengue fever, so I was bedridden. And this mm. book was the only thing I could see from my bed that was like not shining light because I couldn't stand that. And I started reading. And the first page of the prologue was enough for me to know I'm going to re- love this book. Right. Because mm-hmm. already you have um, 
uh, way where Rose, where is being like this douchebag uh, noble who knows everything, while the other two guys, the experienced guys who are nobodies to him, tell him, now we must go back, literally, that's the first line. And I was like, all right, oh, I think this is going to be well written. So I do like horror. Sign me up. And I had a lot of fever, so I read it the first time, all five books in in just under two months and started my second read right away and that was two and a half months so according to me i was reading slowly because i was also working obviously and it was not my language it wrote extremely hilarious moments when i was trying to ask my australian housemate what does this word mean and i couldn't pronounce the words and she was trying to figure out what i was talking about it was really good so i will never forget that Stannis, when he's introduced, is described as sinewy. Whatever, that word, I still don't know how to pronounce it. But like he's full of sinewy. Sinewy. Yeah, I was right. Yeah. Um, because that's the word where we were staring at each other. I was trying to pronounce it so many different ways so she would understand. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, he's sinewy, that guy. Oh, God. Sinewy. <laughs> yes. That's my story, and I actually booked the heart, like the the books, the paper books, to give it to my friend, uh, Ila, the first one who'd given me a a Game of Thrones, because I felt bad I had lost his book, and I still haven't given them to him, because I'm a horrible person. Oh. Or not. Yeah, my whole whole opinion of you has changed. Yeah. (laughs) So is that what speaks to you most about a song of ice and fire is the the characters the characters and how the story is told like this Mm. chapter is a wonderful Mm. example of that how do you tell so many personal stories backstories local history that is probably going to have an importance either in this chapter or the rest of the story somehow Mm -hmm. and um and how do you develop the characters all of that is in a song of ice and fire and Everything has a cost. Like magic, you can't just use it. It's got a cost. And the dragons, they're not cute, fiery things. I mean, they're dangerous weapons. And all of that, yeah, of course, they're also really cool to have. Like, seriously. And that is in the book. Like, you have the, the good and the bad. The positive and the negative. Everything is always put together. There is not one single character that is only bad or only good that does not exist in this story, just like it does not exist in the real world. Yeah. I mean, there there are people that are pretty much all good, but they still have flaws. Yes. You know, like, I don't know that there's any bad about Brienne, but she is flawed still. You know? Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I limited to two criteria, but there's so much more. Right. And although she is... Yeah. So that's kind of how you found the books. How did you find the fandom? What's the first thing you found to kind of like talk to others about this series? Uh, so in Tonga, no one has read the books approximately. <laughs> I mean, that's not true, but like close enough. So I had to find people. Actually, my Australian housemate I was mentioning had read them a long time ago. And so we could talk about it. I'm busy and she's busy. And back then... The internet was not exactly a thing in my house or on my phone. 
because this was Tonga in 2014 and 15, right. and the internet was extremely slow and expensive. So uh, if I did see something online, that would have to be on Westeros.org in the forum, and I would open all the pages of a theme that had appealed to me, and I would read them once at home. Could never comment, obviously. <laughs> so that was passive. But then life improved a bit on the... Um, technological side of things. The internet became cheaper. I started having data on my phone and I went on Twitter and I don't remember how, but I found people and they were all talking about some podcast stuff. And I was like, no way I'm going to download podcasts. Like seriously, this is way <laughs> too much hassle. <laughs> and then one day, <laughs> uh, Jeff, Brandon B. Fish is saying something about how Oh my god, this is once more an amazing episode by the Davos Fingers. And I was like, Man, this guy is quite the asshole. And like, he's sounding extremely genuine when he says this really nice thing. And it's already at least the second time I see that. All right, I'll go download it. And, and here we are. this is how. So you are the first ever podcast I listen to. And I mean, like, all podcasts combined. I didn't even know what a podcast was. Um, Neither did we. Until I started reading. And, and also the podcast, I have to say, have brought me big time into the community because I listen to quite a few. And, right. and the people commenting. I don't always have time to do the comments thing and I always forget what I think. So anyway, but um, <laughs> I've met some of my... I won't say best friends because I don't know. I don't know, something like that. Like I have my real life friends and i have my twitter fandom friends. friends yeah and uh, there are so many of them who are wonderful people and they keep showing me how wonderful they are and so mm -hmm. this fandom is one of the most precious things i've ever had thank you guys and thank I you too because you without it. you who knows if i'd be in this fandom that much i we're just glad you in, are yeah <laughs> what he said I, I i mean i feel i feel i'd like to feel hopeful that you you would have found found the fandom somehow um and and thank you to be fish for for sending you our way for sure uh gosh we're it, gonna have to send him like a thank you note a or fruit, something fruit basket <laughs> he's not gonna uh, eat I don't fruit know. it's not why, gonna eat fruit like it. a protein <laughs> shake i don't know something <laughs> A protein shake with a British flag on it or something. Uh, something like he's that. He's never been anything but kind to us. Uh, he really hasn't, yep. But, but yeah, he's got this this uh, this shtick to go to go with. But uh, love love beef fish and glad glad he sent you our way. But I, I feel like your bright your bright personality would have found the fandom somewhere. I'm glad it started yep. with us. Because uh, we have that now. And no one it's can a do it's a real badge of honor, right? It really is. <laughs> but I I like to think you'd have found it anyway. Uh, yeah, and I love I love that you called it precious. Uh, yeah, the fandom, yes. the like relationships that we have. It really like it is my precious. Yeah, <laughs> I was I was and I still am to a degree a compartmentalizer of things in my life. Like my podcast is separate from the guys I play hockey with. It's separate from the church stuff, which is set. All of it is very separate in my mind, my work, all of that. But as I started letting, you know, my quote unquote internet friends in, you know, 
added mm-hmm. a few of them on Facebook, things like that. It's only gotten better and it's only yes. enriched relationships even more and uh special people out there special people and i never i can't imagine like i never would have met eugenie if it weren't for this (laughs) podcast right uh yeah i never would have had this relationship with scott that i did that i do now if it weren't for this podcast and man it's what a blessing that would have been for you I would have left. I would have left the the company that you're still a part of, and we would have never seen each other again. <laughs> uh, Anyways, what, did, what? So, so it strikes me then that this isn't something you've done a lot with other series and and buying into fandoms. This is this is the one and only. Yes, absolutely. I grew yeah. up with Star Wars because my dad loves it. And so I watched the movies 500 zillion times with my sister. That yep. I've never, ever even thought of anything like relating myself to a fandom. I've never owned, and actually to this day, I think I still don't own any merch. I think I'm mm. wrong because I, I remember thinking, no, I have merch. Can't think of what it is though. And and I mean, that's cool. I don't judge people for that, but just, I was like, this is not my thing. And this is to this day, not my thing, except I found this community of people. And of course we do talk about these books and these books, I love them because they allow us to talk about some themes that are not the kind of themes you may want to be talking about with strangers. Yeah. And I find there is an ungodly amount of people who hurt for some reason or another um, mm. in this fandom. And, like we all have each other's back and it's amazing. I mean, not everyone is like that, of course, but you know, we are so many of us like this and I am definitely included in that. And I've had conversations with people who have other reasons to, you know, have had other problems, other experiences and be able to share experiences in, in ways, you know, cause you're talking about some of the most atrocious things that are described in this book and you're like, yep, so, from personal experience, this and that. And you have all those people who come and they're not judging you in any way. They're also not being intrusive and they're just actually being very caring and maybe trying to figure out more. And also you're like, oh, wow, someone else here is sharing a story that's so exactly like mine or like in its own way. And okay, this is what makes this fandom really special too. And Yesterday, I was not feeling great. Like this week, I have been a bit difficult for me. And I had two different members of the fandom offer me to send chocolate from the USA. And I'm like, do you want to be my best friends? Because this is how you buy me. And and obviously, we've never met, right? And same with you two guys. We've never met in real life, but it doesn't matter. Only one person of the fandom I have met in real life, and that is Anne. Mm-hmm. I can't remember all the letters that come after that, but she is wonderful, and and so yes, this fandom has brought me to meet one person in real life. It's amazing. It doesn't matter. I just love you all the same. Exactly. Yeah, I love the way you put that, and the, and the books do really lend to lend to the fans talking about their problems because the the way it's written is so relatable even though it's about magic and ice demons and stuff uh 
the issues underneath are are very very relatable and you can talk about them as books but then you realize you're not really even talking about the books you're talking about real human issues and yeah. um yeah it's, it's like the the books are conversation starters yeah or exactly. therapy session starters <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly what what about what about theories are you are you a big theory person do you do you have any theory that's not proven yet that you really latch on to Okay, so define theory because I think there are things <laughs> I am 100% sure of that some would call the theory. Like, I remember screaming in my head and maybe out loud the first time I read um, Brian's last chapter where he's eating this yeah. weird werewood paste. And so I was like, paste. and he's saying something about how it tastes of blood and something. I'm like, where is Chacha? <laughs> and Georgian yeah. has disappeared and I actually finished the chapter and reread it right away and horrified that Georgian has disappeared and no one mentions him and Georgian has spent his whole time in the book saying how he this is not the way I die I'm like the guy knows how he dies and he knows he has a bigger purpose and he He's okay with that because it's so big. And I'm like, oh my God, George and Paste. I didn't know the name. I mean, I didn't know the fandom name because that was my first time reading. And I was just like, George and Paste is so oh, horribly real. Oh my God. <laughs> anyway, um, and I, th I read some people who were unconvinced that the gravedigger on this quiet isle is Sandor. I'm trying to say Sandor. Oh my God. Um, I mean, obviously, who else could it be? Seriously. Um, and some other stuff like that, that to me have just been extremely obvious. So maybe I'm completely wrong, but I don't mm -hmm. call them theory. Also, a plus L equal J. Like, I'm so sorry, guys. How obvious is that from the first time? I mean, something like that is obvious. When Ned, in one of the first chapters, says something about how he thinks something about how his sister was lying on a bed of blood. Like, bed of blood, okay. Child, um, died in childbirth. So one of the babies in this story is his, hers, and that got to be John. And then I got some <laughs> moments when I was a bit sent off because supposedly that would be this Wyla person or this fisherman's daughter. Actually, the fisherman's daughter had more appeal to me as a theory because I was still reading the book for the first time. And then I was like, nah, totally, 100%. Uh, Liana is John's mother. And for some reason, on my first read... I didn't catch the fact that uh, Riger would be her dad. He's dead, sorry. Like, that was oh. not confirmed in my head. It took the second read to be like, well, who else would it have been? Yeah. Anyway, I blame it on Dengue Fever. <laughs> well, well, I, don't, I don't know that I even picked up on RLJ my first read. So. I definitely did not. No. <laughs> I don't know what I thought of with the bed. So with at the least you blood. had the LJ part, but. Yeah. I don't know what I thought bed of blood meant, but I don't I don't think I I don't think I put together at all that it was John. I was huh. so wrapped up in the story the first time I read it that yeah. I wasn't even I wasn't even theorizing or thinking critically. I was just like one page to the next. No, one yeah, page it was to the next. Yeah, I didn't yeah, yeah uh. I wasn't stopping to think about anything. Uh you know, you brought up that brand chapter and brand three, uh Dance of Dragons. Mm -hmm. And it is so far away from the end of that book so like yes we haven't had an update from brand and i know that chapter 
if I remember right, that's the the moon was a knife, the knife was a moon. That isn't yes, that that yes, chapter. Yes. Yeah. So it it spans a long period of time, and so it might start where a lot of the stories were at that time, and kind of end where some of the stories end. But we haven't seen Bran and Jojen uh, mm. for a long time. I'm. It's one of the stories I'm most interested in getting back to because picking back up. what what will have elapsed? Are we going to get a Theon Reek thing where? where we don't even recognize Bran because it's been four months and he's now super weirwood boy. And like, we don't even recognize him anymore. Like Mm. I'm super interested to see where that goes. And the question about, you know, what's your favorite unproven theory is not to really answer the question. It's more just to talk about stuff. So you did great. Um, you think we're going to see Azora High with Lightbringer or, uh, and, and why is it Heil Hunt? It's just the best question ever. So I think this is a fact. Azora High was an absolute asshole. Like, come on, the guy killed his wife and because he wanted a sword. Seriously? Mm-hmm. So Greater I, I'm good, not saying Heil Hunt would kill his wife because he wants a bigger sword. I am saying... Heil Hunt is an asshole. Yes, it matches. Um, but my prepared answer before you added that bit was <laughs> is the friends we met along the way. Lightbringer is the books that got us together. <laughs> Azora High is the friends, the friends we, we made, made along, along the way. way. Oh, I just got my sign off. No, I didn't. <laughs> all together here in this fandom, like we're bringing so much light to each other's life, and I think this is what it is all about. Can I tweet that if Please. I give you credit? <laughs> <laughs> what if Azora High is the friends we made along the way? <laughs> Mid recording oh. tweet. Azora High. I'll give you a second to tweet it before we move on. Is the friends we made. <laughs> along the way all right uh and then i'm going to attribute it to you at <laughs> Jimmy. there it is and sent okay well, we are now re- oh, go ahead. i think that's the first uh in 110 <laughs> episodes that we've tweeted mid podcast i just didn't want to forget that i definitely don't remember <laughs> pausing for one yeah. yeah i mean you might have surreptitiously sent one while we were recording or something but we never like paused for one that we came up with on the cast no. right yeah uh all right let's move into the last let's bring this chapter home with uh yeah. with our last summary yes. entering the keep brienne sees stairs leading down a pile of stones that used to be a keep trees everywhere over overrunning the place a lean and healthy weirwood in the center and the remnants of a campfire Hello! shouted Nimble Dick, and Brienne hushed him. Shh! A sapling swayed, and out stepped a man. A pig. Pig? That's P-Y-G. One of the bloody mummers! And he wasn't alone. That's right. Timian crawled up out of a well to make two. Then Shagwell dropped down from the weirwood to make three. He wasted no time in crushing Dick's knee, then faith with his morning star. So here was Brienne, facing three. They circle her, promise to rape her, surround her, 
She tries to convince them that she's not here for them. She's looking for a fool traveling with Stark's daughter. That is the hound you want, Finian said. He's the one that's got the Stark girl. Brienne realizes Timian is just trying to distract her and keep her talking while Pig moves closer. She tries one last time, offering to give them gold to let her go. But it isn't going to happen. So she flies at Pig, slicing at his leg, then through his throat as he fell. She turned just in time for the spear to fly by her face, nicking her. Now it's two against one. Timian with his spear and Shagwell with his three ball spiked Morningstar against Oathkeeper and Brienne. They had her surrounded though, and just as she was about to commit to killing one, a stone came flying in from the side, hitting Shagwell in the head. Podwell had come to join the fight, and Brienne wasted no time in attacking Timian. He got her in the shoulder as she approached, but she took off part of his cheek and then the head of his spear and then pushed Oathkeeper deep into his stomach. As he fell away, he tried to stab her with a knife from his belt, so she took off his hand, too. That was for Jamie. Shagwell, a mess from getting pelted with rocks, sees Brienne coming with her red sword and yields. She makes him dig a grave with his bare hands. Nimble Dick will have a grave. He was a crab. This was his place. When the grave was finally dug, she carried Dick to the grave. I'm sorry that I never trusted you. I don't know how to do that anymore. She heard, she heard Chagwell coming from behind her, gripped her dagger and stabbed him in the stomach. Laugh, she stabbed him again and again. Laugh, 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 over and over again as she stabbed him. He died, and she cried. They buried Spry, Ricky, Crab together, and Brienne tossed him two golden dragons, his payment. They're interrupted by the laughter of Heil Hunt, the traveler that had been following them, who insists that, that you know, throwing him those two coins is a waste of good gold. He's here on Tarly's orders in case Sansa was found, and he was to bring her back. Uh, he asked Brienne what she's going to do now. She means to continue with her new lead, the Hound, if she can find him. She asked Hyle to come hand, and together the three of them finish burying the noblest of them all, Nimble Dick Crab. Wonderful flourish. Oh, I love, oh, I've, I've probably beaten this to death over the years, but I love how George writes his fight scenes, especially when there are disadvantages in numbers. Mm. Uh, yes. I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm always reminded of like Jedi fights in Star Wars and how fake they are. Like, I, I know everyone loves the, the, uh, the scene with Rey and Kylo, the Praetorian Guard, and, and it is a beautifully, a beautifully filmed, the, the color is amazing. The, the, creativity in their moves is awesome it's just a it's a it's a fight that'll really get you going but like they do not take advantage of their numbers at all and even <laughs> even two against one is an incredibly difficult fight to win and mm -hmm. i love the way he handles it in in these books yes 
Uh, I just want to say something that I noted for the first time today, no, not today, on this read, um, that uh, Sir Galadon of Morn only used his special sword, uh, the just med, three times because yeah. it was so deadly that he wouldn't use it against normal people. And Brienne is here killing three guys. Oh, yeah. I hadn't made that connection. Mm -hmm. She only uses it on two, but she does Her use it on a third later. Oh, yeah, and, big time. And we'll see if that's the last time, because um, she's with Northmen and might feel compelled to return the Shards of Ice mm -hmm. to some of them. I don't know. It would be interesting. Yeah. So it might end with three. That would be that would be an interesting parallel. Oh yeah, I would love it. It's not very sportsmanlike. <laughs> thinking of that line from Princess Bride. <laughs> yeah, she wouldn't use her the sword. My my way is not very sportsmanlike. <laughs> Sir Galadin of Morn. Mm -hmm. Um, the Just Maid was the name of his sword. That's right. Yes. Yes. Which is my new nickname for Brienne. Oh, As she's absolutely be. that. Oh, yeah. I think it's meant to be that. Um, her This fight scene is so impactful. It's the first time that Brienne takes life, right? Takes mm -hmm. a life. Her first kills. Uh, is it? It good... might be. Huh. Sorry? No. Uh, she kills someone in Renly's tent, doesn't she? I don't think so. I think she just gets through the tent. Like, yeah. because Kathleen tells her, like, we have to go quick, quick. And so she uses her sword to slash through the tent so they can walk out, not through the door. But I think there's just the two of them in the in the tent at that moment. She so does, she but I feel like anymore. it's not worth arguing, I guess. I feel like they hear him die and two of his other Rainbow Guard come in. And attack her and she has to kill one and the other one she convinces that she didn't do it it's robar royce that she convinces she didn't do it but maybe oh. i'm wrong uh, i know anyway. loris loris ends up killing one of them just because he's so mad he kills robar yeah loris yeah. Yeah. yeah um i could be wrong i think this is the first time she kills somebody but i'm not completely sure look at but us same yes yeah but the way she's thinking of her teacher who had told her to not like hesitate before yeah. the kill and who had trained her to kill on killing lambs and pigs, piglets. Um, piglets are really cute, by the way, I have to tell you, for living in Tonga, <laughs> I see a lot of them. And the, like, I think that if she had killed before, she would also be thinking about that first person she's killed, whereas she doesn't, she just thinks of those piglets and lambs and of how her teacher could be so proud of her because, look, I'm yeah. doing what you said. I don't know. Mm -hmm. No, that's a good point. Maybe I'm wrong. It's okay. I mean, who knows? Not me. Oh, it does say uh, since her own sword is absent, Brienne fends off Sir Emin Kui with Renly's blade. Fends him off. So yeah. fights him. Mm -hmm. uh, Catelyn convinces Robar Royce that Brienne is innocent. And then when Loras finds Renly's body, he, ki he kills Emin and Robar. Okay, so she doesn't kill him. In a rage. Okay. She fights him, though. Yeah. But she yeah. doesn't kill him. That's As your you point. Do. 
Um, and she didn't flinch. I will not flinch. She'd promised Sir Goodwin, who was yes. the guy that trained her. And she didn't. I mean, she she didn't even wait for Pig to attack, right? As soon as she knew that the danger was there, she's the one that made the first move. She jumped at him and she killed did. him. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, another thing that I don't like, but I noticed this time, is when it came down, her mistrust of men, and it came down to the threat, the serious threat of rape. I first put yeah. sexual abuse, and then I crossed it out, and I put rape, <laughs> where, where they said, we'll either pay you or we'll just rape you. And then she attacks and kills. And I'm like, freaking go, Brienne. Go. Oh, yeah. And there's something else. But um, So once she's killed Pig, Shagwell tells Tibian to get Brienne because she is mad with Moonblood. Yeah. Look what mm-hmm. she did to Pig. And later, that asshole, when he's the only man standing, um, you know, still alive, he continues because he's that much of an asshole. And he says that women have no sense of humor. Yeah, of course, you asshole. You're yeah. talking about the women you've raped. Yeah. So, hi, such an he's amazing guy. Love him. Yeah, love he's him. the worst. Yeah. He is uh, absolutely he... the worst. I really love the callbacks to what Sir Goodwin taught her. Um, mm. You know, as as the simple stuff is, uh, it's one thing to train in the yard with a blunted sword in hand and another to drive a foot of sharpened steel into a man's gut and see the light go out in his eyes. Uh, Timian, when she killed him, it says she put a foot of ripped steel into his belly. Mm-mm, um, mm-mm. Yeah. Yep. And and he then when it says, teacher. Timian says, end it, and it just says she did, which implies did. a coldness, a, I didn't even look at the light in his eyes, I didn't care, kind of a, you know, like a, this is just how it is, and she's adapted to it, and she can do it, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I would say that I have a note on this. Timian is basically begging for mercy. But the way Timian does it is like, I mean, he's a bloody mama. So what do you expect? Of course, he's got to be insulting. And he's a Dornish. So of course, he's hot-blooded. And so he says, finish me. Send me back to Dorn, you bloody bitch. How beautiful is that? I'm like, is this the most Dornish thing said in the whole books it could be it could definitely be (laughs) you know that's basically Uh, just begging for mercy and you know later when uh shan dot is asking uh, Arya to give him mercy like he's already shown it uh, her how mm -hmm. to do it and so yeah i'm like wow this is we don't know the name but this is exactly what's happening and his way of Asking for mercy is pretty much what Shandor would do to uh, Arya because he's also saying all these horrible things about how he should have uh, taken his sister no matter what and whatever. You know, like he's pretty right. horrible because he wants her to kill him. He wants her to yeah. do it. Uh, yeah, he's Arya to doesn't do it. But mm-hmm. here he's just, you know, like um, Timion is just like, all right, do it, you fucking bitch. And yeah, she does it. See, insult her, not threaten in retrospect her sister. That doesn't work as well. Just saying. <laughs> just saying. Just I'm just saying here. 
And of course, <laughs> before he dies, he gives us he, he gives Brienne and us the next lead, right? Interestingly done mm-hmm, by George. Mm-hmm. Kind of Yeah. They're they're, they're circling each other, to threatening to rape her, it? and then it's like a nice conversation about how their tro- how their trip into the Riverlands went. Yeah. It's the uh it's 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 the uh wow that that uh that doorman had such great information. It seemed extraneous at the time. <laughs> it seemed extraneous uh, at Wayne's, the time. Wayne's, Wayne's World kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> this is a story all about how our life at Heron Hall went upside down. <laughs> uh but yeah, and then Shagwell, of course, just becomes a coward immediately as soon as he doesn't have the advantage, which is Yeah. How those types go. Yeah. Mm. Goodwin talks about Brienne having, he says, uh, you have a man's strength in your arms, but your heart is as soft as any maid's. And we see here a warrior's aggression combined with a real sensitivity. Scad, you mentioned, um, I really like how you said there's a coldness to how she ended Timian. Uh, And we've seen that actually come out a bit in Brienne. <clears throat> it said at the melee at Bitterbridge, she when she's kicking the crap out of her suitors, uh, she enjoyed it. Yeah. She liked it. And yeah. um the the I love the quote at the end where she says, The mother uh, well George says the mother had delivered Connington to her, Ronnet Connington, and every blow she dealt him was sweeter than a kiss. Yeah. She gets to a point where she enjoys it almost. Um and and why wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah, I 100% agree. Uh, and then, of course, as she's killing Shagwell, she's doing the very Arya reminiscent laugh, laugh, laugh. Not as if she's so much enjoying that, but there's something um, grotesquely cathartic yes. in what she's mm. doing there. And um, there's yeah. that warrior aggression, right? Go ahead. No, I I mean, I mostly, I just want to agree with you. I mean, cathartic is a great word. I didn't have it written down. I, I too tied the scenes together um, in my notes. I, I, you know, I feel like Arya's is, is like lashing out in, in rage and tears and, and, and even just kind of a girl trying not to fall apart. And Brienne's is, it's more like frustration and like bitterness and seething anger at the world and the position she's in at the moment. But but it's every man who's ever wronged her is yeah. Shagwell mm, at bitterness. that moment. That that this yeah. is the way this is what she's been turned into. Right? But at the same time, like sh- this man has been threatening her with rape for a while now because already back when she's with uh Jame and they find her I mean, he's been threatening her with rape since the very beginning. It's only mm-hmm, thanks yeah. to James that she wasn't raped because of his Sapphire's story, right? And mm-hmm. Shagwell has been such an incredible threat to her, and now she's killing him. And like, just a minute ago, he was, not a minute ago, just a couple hours ago, before he started digging this grave, he was again threatening her with rape, and he doesn't stop, he doesn't, he never stops. And so yeah, yeah. she is like, all right, so I'm getting better too. Like, all the suffering she's had, all the scare, all the fear. I mean, she's gone through hell because of that guy in her head. Yes. 
him it's... and his buddies, right? Yes. And now, yes, of course, it's cathartic. She's killing the last of them that she's uh, facing. And she's also thinking a couple of times during this fight about how they took um, James' hand. And now, you know, Shagwell has two hands, which is one more than what they left, than what you left, um, as to James. But Zolo's not here. It's Zolo who cut uh, James' hand. And she's still like, whatever, I don't care. Like, it was the whole of them, the whole of the bloody mamas. They're in this together, because this one in particular has been this horrible rapist, because she is a rapist, it's a fact, who has been threatening her with making her another victim of his. And now she's killing him. Of course, mm -hmm. it's an incredibly liberating moment. And no, she's not going to feel good for it because that's not the kind of liberation she wants. And right. still, this guy has been saying how hilarious he is while raping. And that if women that he's raping are not laughing, it's because they don't have humor. So, oh my God, yes. Like big time, yes. I would have done the same. And it would be terrible and I would feel miserable for it, just like she probably does. But how else... Would a human being who's being so hurt and scared and threatened, you know, like in this situation where she's put in, where he can take her life, like he's not even threatening of killing her anymore, of raping her anymore. He's like going for the kill. Yeah, of course she kills him. And of course she, like everything is wrong. And this is what's happening. And that's how it comes out when she says, laugh, laugh, laugh. And she doesn't like laughing at all this is for sure but mm -hmm. that's what comes out because she's a human and it has to come out it had and to come out i agree with that mm -hmm. it does but I, yeah. also the i think laugh is an interesting choice because she's all while she's killing this man that's very directly threatened her multiple times and is a threat mm -hmm. to her she's she's also killing the idea of shagwell's in the world She's right. killing right. this idea of people that take and take and take and take from others with a smile, with no second thoughts. And Brienne is a person that can't, she can't relate to that at all. And so the fact that she's throwing laugh back in his face, it's like she's killing the idea of these people that live with such co contempt for life. And uh, mm -hmm. I, I love, the, I love that they've chosen that word and shagwell a jester to i love that george put it that way to, to be that in that way <clears throat> beautifully said no i like that a lot yeah i like the way Thanks. you said that too killing the idea um and, but and then again going back to the heart is soft as any maids she cried when she was butchering yeah. pigs uh, yes also pig pyg yeah. um and she didn't enjoy this. Uh, it was cathartic, but at the same time mixed with tears. And I wonder if going forward, we talked about if Brienne is going to be using Oathkeeper again. If as a warrior, this is something that Brienne is going to have to grapple with. That idea of killing because she has to and killing because it's actually the right thing, but never feeling comfortable with it. And uh, mm. that's going to be an interesting um conflict inner conflict with brienne that i'm interested to see going forward is it well is it going to continue to be something that's difficult for her or 
is it is she going to kind of get a little cold to it all and be able to do it a little more heartlessly if that's the right way to use it or separate herself from the humanity of it i hope not that would be her being broken a little yeah. bit yeah no it's a uh, yeah I, I like the way you put that Ginny, because if you can't handle the actions you're doing you you become broken in some way and sure part part of you know Damon the rogue prince could separate that didn't it, you know the act was over it was over and he went back to living his carefree life and i don't know why i picked on him there are lots of people in the story right that they can separate baratheon's another one robert baratheon they can separate the acts that they've done to steal life from people in the moment that when you know they feel justified in acts of war or whatever they can separate that from their their life and um you know we've well we have we have followers that they've certainly been through been through things um you know and developed ptsd and, and other things like that that yeah you know you don't you don't really come back from some some people don't come back from it it's not a a judgment about mm. those people it's just it it takes it takes a certain set of circumstances and a certain person that can kind of separate those things out and not have it wreck them and man i hope i hope brienne can i feel i feel like she can it feels like I she feel moves like she o- moves, yeah. moves ahead okay with this but you know we'll see oh, yeah. it's, it's really a long-term thing for that kind of thing right uh brienne says to him in a really tragic I'm sorry that I never trusted you. Oh, I don't yes. know how to do that anymore. You know what? The first step is admitting eulogy. it. that's his eulogy. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, so she's saying that basically, like, she doesn't do a proper eulogy. But that's the only thing that is close to a eulogy that he gets. And that's her telling him that she is sorry she couldn't trust him. And I think that says a lot about what she now feels guilt towards our nimble dick and also what kind of man he really is he's someone who was trustworthy and it's really sad and this is devastating and while she's also clearly being very emotional she's still keeping her sense uh, all of her senses on alert and so she can turn around and stab Shaguel right in time before she is killed <laughs> by him so she can be mm-hmm. so like at, at the same place I mean yes does that mean that she's complimenting? Yeah, no, I don't think so. I think she is very much into the the emotion of burying Nimble Dick and feeling guilty for not having trusted him. But at the same time, she's on survival mode because she knows there's this killer, rapist killer, mm-hmm. behind her, out of sight. And so, of course, she has to survive, and that's what she does. So yes, she can be in two places at the same time, but not because she wants to be there or feels good about any of it. Actually, both are horrible. She feels guilt about this guy who just got killed, and she feels that she needs to survive. Like, come on. Like, she's in two very bad places at the same time. Amazing. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. That she's able to feel that guilt and also be having her senses aware of what's coming uh, and be in both places is astounding i said earlier that we'd come back to what i think is the second purpose for nimble dick in this in this series uh mm-hmm. Matt, you had mentioned the first one being that you know he provides um 
some some light, I guess, in a, what a levity. Would, yeah, what would be some real dreariness in this chapter in in the pines, the pines, the pines. Um, and I think his other purpose is is to to show her that guilt. You learn and and to have her learn from that guilt, so that she can trust people like Heil Hunt mm-hmm. again in her future. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, th- I think it took a very, a very real experience for her to see someone she should have trusted. Again, all that conversation we had about it's dangerous, man, <laughs> to trust people. I get all that, but she's yep. she needs she needs to find a way in her life to trust somebody or what's the point. And I think Kyle might end up being that person. Yeah. I put down, uh, she's starting to find herself surrounded by a little crew of people that she could potentially trust. Right. You, you talk about what's the phrase. They're your people. They're your people. I feel like Brienne's mm-hmm. starting to get people. She's got Podrick, even though he's a kid. I think there's potential with Heil. There's Jamie. And she's starting to build up this these people, this group of people, and she's never had to compromise who she was to do it. She never had to like try to be the cool kid to fit in with the cool crowd. She was just Brienne the whole time. And she's starting to get these people. And you know what? You can just like we've talked about with the fandom and finding belonging and comfort and family within the fandom. Brienne's starting to maybe realize that she can do that too and she can be close to people and she can forge relationships with them that are relationships built on trust. And yeah, I love that you mentioned that maybe Nimble Dick was tragically what uh, got her to that point. Yeah, or, or at mm. least a link to it, yeah. 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 Uh do we do we want to discuss Heil Hunt at all? He doesn't do a whole lot here. I'll leave that. He's just too. being an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> he's amazing. Like he's sitting on the wall, and I can. I mean, it's not written, but I can hear him slow clap. Sure. It says his legs yeah, were crossed. Yeah, you did so much so work. Like... Congrats. Um, and then, but then I have to say, in his defense, she tells him like, "Come help, um, bury him proper," and. He does. He even says he something does. nice. So, my favorite asshole is being an asshole, but also a courteous one. <laughs> he's got his. He's got his quirks. He's I, got I, his things. I just want to lay out exactly <laughs> how big an asshole he is, because okay. in the next chapter, when he's telling the story about what happened, he goes into detail about the fight he witnessed. He watched the whole thing. I was going to say, how long was he on then that the, wall? Then the grave digging. All all hiding away somewhere else. Because he details the pod through rocks. He talks about how quick and strong she was in the fight. And how she cut all three of them down herself. He's got details about the fight. And he, I think, watched the whole thing. And didn't help. I mean, now maybe, I don't maybe know that right he watched the whole thing from a place where he could have intervened because of course I'm going to defend him although I do <laughs> stand by my by my own statement that he's the biggest asshole but <laughs> I mean yeah he has manners <laughs> um 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, so, uh, so, okay, one thing, when uh, early on in this chapter, when Brienne is describing the melee where she beats everybody up, all of her mm -hmm. suitors, he is not mentioned. So oh. probably he was not in the melee, or for some reason she did not beat him up, or for some reason she leaves that out. I, I mean, she's just seen him again, so she remembers he exists. Plus, and it is a long was, list. She includes a lot of names and the people she beat up. So she yeah. does, and some of them are dead. Others lost an arm and their monkey. I'm so sad for Mark Mullendor. I mean, I love his monkey. Um, anyway, the um, so she just saw him a chapter ago. Like he can't be far from memory, and he probably is of those who hurt her during this bit as opposed to Cunnington who hurt her when she was still very young he would have hurt her the most because he's the one who did the job to try to know her like he's literally the only one who tries yeah. to know her who does actually show that he does understand her and my approach would be that he does respect her and I think the guy is one of those assholes who can't own up to the fact that he likes the ugly girl so he is going to be an asshole because he wants her to reject him. And mm. he sends his squire to clean her chain. No, no, no. Wait, whatever. Definitely something she loves that he does is that he sends her a book or books uh, yes. of stories of chivalry, which she adores. And the most important thing he could have done that anybody on this earth could have done, he trained with her. Yeah. He offered to train together. This guy definitely understood what drives her, right? And so I stand by my uh, theory, if you want to say that, that he likes her. He's the biggest asshole for not being a man and owning up to that and prefers to make a dumbfoolery of it because he does not want to be seen liking the big, ugly girl. So what a douche. Mm -hmm. But also, I think, a douche in love. Or something yeah. like that. I, I like There's it. Hope. Um, There's hope. I like it too. Mm -hmm. I, I'm also, not all the way is... on board. I think he's getting there. I think, I think he knows her. You, said, you made the point that he knows her. Right? Yeah. And I agree with that. And I think he likes her. I think he likes her. I think he likes her as a person. I think he's starting to like her more than that. I don't think he's there by this point. Yeah. But oh, I do agree this, though that even if, went away. Even, as, even yeah. as he gets there, that he's not gonna he's gonna have difficulty admitting yes. it. Yeah, I agree that, with that. Oh, oh, yeah. the theory, I he is never yeah. going to own up to it. Yeah. And okay, another thing that tells me he really likes her from the get go when he appears in the story is that he is one of the original three in the bit. And Brienne notices that the closer he gets to her, the more suitors she has. Like, he is the one they've all noticed. And so if he's so noticeable for getting close to her, if he does like her and doesn't want to be the guy with the ugly girl, then he may be like, oh yeah, cool, this is only a bit. And so enter the other dudes. I don't know. This is how I've seen it from probably the beginning, my first read, I think. And again, he's a, such a douchebag, right? But at the same time, I'm like, he is not 
as schemy as others would have you believe that he's only like being nice to her now because he wants to um, be the heir, like read the heir of Tarth. And I'm like, that does not sound like something you would do if you just want to get Tarth. Even if you're a douchebag and you can't say things straight. Like, you know, when he says that he's gonna fuck her when she's got in the dark or with a bug on her head or whatever. Come on, guy. Like, sorry, but this is so stupid. And be a little more imaginative than that. Like, the guy really likes her. And of course he does, because she's amazing. Of course he does. Yep, I like that. Of course he does. Who wouldn't? Like, who would not? Even James likes her. I wonder if Hyle's just not much of a fighter, if he's a lover, not a fighter, Skad. He got... That's why he didn't... (laughs) Maybe. I mean, and he got knocked just, out of the melee early, and that's why she, why she couldn't find him. It hit me Could when be. when Jenny brought that up, when you brought that up, my friend, that uh, he wasn't in the melee. And I was like, huh. And he didn't participate in this fight. Maybe this dude just doesn't like to fight. <laughs> he's the guy who goes and rescues Samuel Tarly when he's a child, yes. that his yeah. fucking monstrous father had thrown into a pond, so he would, air quote, learn to swim. Like, Oh my God! Yeah, he'll train in the and, yard because that's what men are expected to do. But yeah. uh, when it comes down to it, he's like, you know what? The melee comes up. He's like, oh man, my uh, uh, my, le- my, my AC leg joint really hurts. Oh man, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Not, uh, oh boy. I mean, he's got the chance already. So we got some so good theories. Him. We got some good theories about Heil Hunt <laughs> here tonight. Don't <Of> <laughs> we? So um, I know we're we're nearing the end, but uh, yes. I've talking about theories. I went down probably too much of a rabbit hole talking about this young weirwood tree. Oh, mm. oh! I have yeah. one for you then. Yeah. Anyone uh, else? Nimbly I don't have crab. anything on the weirwood tree. I noticed that it said it was slim, which means it's young. Yeah. Slim and yeah. young, which was interesting to me. That uh, this really old castle, everything's yeah. torn down and everything, yet there's a really young weirwood tree. Yep. Um, of course, anytime you hear a weirwood tree, you think of Bram, right? Of course. Uh, oh. And I wonder if the young weirwood is, is a little symbolic of this young observer who could potentially be learning to use the weirwood tree. Uh and if Bran was able to witness what just happened there, the fight, the burial, I think that would look really good to someone who's really into knighthood like Bran, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, Brienne will come out looking really good. And I started thinking, why would that be important? And I came to, it hit me that Arya and Sansa don't know who Brienne is. Yeah. She knows who they are, but they have yeah. no idea who she is. Right. Uh-huh. And if she shows up in the Stark's life at some point, whether she meets all of them together or just one of them, right? and she's got this sword with lion a lion pommel and stuff, and who knows, maybe Jamie's even with her, you know, yeah. at the end of Dance with Dragons, she be. meets back up with Jamie. There's going to be some trust issues there. I mean, this is the guy that pushed Bran out of a window. Uh, and certainly Arya and Sansa don't think too highly of him either. So Bran seeing what he's seen at this weirwood tree, 
could go a long way to helping him and maybe other Starks trust Bri Brienne uh, and see that she's really what all that she says she is. And Bran could be like, I saw it. I can vouch for this lady. Um, yeah. I think it it's also interesting. Yeah. much more simply tells Bran that uh, his sister's alive, which he might. Ooh, good know. point. Yeah. <laughs> but that's yeah. not nearly as cool so... as anything. Yeah, Timian also mentions her because he would have seen the whole fight. And one thing that could attract him to this weirwood, in particular to watch the scene, is that there is a blood sacrifice of sorts. Yes, here we go. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah. hi, tinfoil hat. No, it's not a tinfoil hat at all, at least. Uh, at all. And the, the, the so Brienne says that she wants nimble, di uh, nimble dick buried because he was a crab and that the other two timion and pig can feed the crows which is the title of the book right so they're feeding the crows but nimble dick is buried by the uh, tree and then shagwell is killed by the tree which makes two corpses not feeding the crows but potentially feeding the tree. Uh, the tree, the weirwood tree. So Bran, wanting to eat some good old blood, as you do when you're a weirwood person, could come, like, not one, but two, yeah! And then watch the whole scene, like, how did this wonderful feast come to my door? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah no. no, totally. Yeah, the, uh, you're, you're, you're right on track with where I was going with this too, going back yeah. to that uh, part of the heart tree, would we call it a vision or scene that Bran sees? Um, when he sees, I think it's at Winterfell, when he sees the white haired woman step toward them through a drift of dark red leaves, a bronze sickle in her hand, and then she, underneath a weirwood tree, grabs a captive by the throat and slashes his throat, right? Do you remember this part? And brand's yep. weirwood vision and it's early uh, on yeah and through the mist of centuries the broken boy could only watch as the man's feet drummed against the earth but as his life flowed out of him in a red tide brandon stark could taste the blood uh, a world of ice and fire talks about blood sacrifices we also remember that one from Oh, was it the chapter we covered with Chase Scad, where it talks about um, is it the wolf's den and the yes. en entrails yes. that were yes. hung from the weirwood In trees? In the White Harbor, yeah. Yeah, yep. also reminiscent of a blood sacrifice. Nimble Dick Crab mentions in this in this chapter that the Cracklaws, also yes. of First Men descent, old god, old god worshippers, watered their pines with blood. Mm-hmm. So I, I think there's definitely uh, some evidence here of blood sacrifice and maybe some power in that. And you brought up the, the thing about Jojen paste and how the Jojen paste kind of yeah. activated Bran to this whole weirwood thing. Um, again, potentially a blood sacrifice. Does this infusion of blood into this new weirwood tree kind of activate that heart tree to a degree or awaken it to something that alerts Bran to it? You know, interesting stuff. Yeah, there. this this tree does not even seem to have a face because she does not describe it. 
yeah, and it's, it's young slim and slim, and young like and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I'm like two bleeding bodies by a young weirwood tree. Come on, how would that not attract a green seer? And maybe yeah. give him like finally, Brand could be giving his face to the tree. Not that I know how faces work, but hey. Yeah, I think they said the children of the forest carved the faces, yes. but um, you guys are gonna die. You ready for something? Yes. Brienne Four, the chapter we are covering today, according to the timeline, uh, the Song of Ice and Fire timeline, takes place on March twenty fifth, three hundred. Mm -hmm. Brand Three of A Dance with Dragons, where he starts learning green seeing, starts. 327, 300, two days after this. Yeah. Oh, nice find, Skeddy Boy. Oh, beautiful. Aren't we onto something here? Chapter oh. spans nearly two months, so uh, that blood would have seeped in already and stuff, but yeah. it's time traveling anyway, right? Maybe? Yeah. yeah. The, the so. time doesn't exist for a tree thing yeah. or whatever they're saying. Right. It's all just kind of one thing. It's a reaper something oh, it's not according, yeah. according according to the timeline these things happen right at the same time so there is a theory out there um i didn't think of this that uh that blood sacrifice if it potentially is a blood life for a life type situation that could come into play later on namely when brienne and Hyle and pod are being hung and i've never heard of this you guys have you heard about this whole russian translation of a feast for crows no no i assume there a is one apparently <laughs> this russian translation at least some of it was taken from an earlier um version, version of george's manuscript and loosely translated Here's what happens at that final scene when Stoneheart is hanging um, hanging the three of them. Yeah. Okay, I'll just read it to you real quick. Someone translated it into English. Bless We're them. We're deep now. Um, yeah, yeah, this is deep stuff. We're in I was Russian like, translation. This territory. blew me away. This blew me away, you guys. <laughs> it could mean nothing, but indulge me for a sec. Uh, the rope dug into skin, lifting Brienne upward. If this is another dream, it's time for me aw to awaken. If this is real, it's time for me to die, she thought. From somewhere afar, she heard the clapping of wings. The carrion crows are coming to feast at her corpse. About a dozen already are circling over her head. But for crows, these birds are too large. No, they're ravens, smiled Brienne. How odd. And that's how it goes. So the theory going that Bran seeing this and uh, seeing that Brienne is worth saving has, has saw the weirwood. intervened at Brienne's hanging and maybe plays a part in her release, right? Obviously, the version that we read, the English version, ends with she screamed a word. And we right. assume that that word is sword. Raven. Oh. Um, yes. Oh, yeah, sorry. It's actually Raven. Uh, <laughs> Bran! Um, uh, we assume that that's what it is because she's obviously alive in Dance with Dragons when she meets up with Jamie. But right. uh, yes. 
you know, there's that idea that maybe Bran intervened. You know, there were three Well, maybe lives. that was an early idea and then George let go of it because it. she just yep. creamed sword, yeah, which he confirmed, by the way. And um, and then on her merry way, she goes finding Jane for this lady who has such good intentions toward him. Yes. But yeah. I think, and I but... want to say one of my favorite things about Heil Hunt is that while he's being hanged, hung... Mm -hmm that thing mm -hmm. he is cursing them eloquently that's unquote and i'm like oh, am i a hail hunt voilà. yeah would you be cursing them eloquently sorry scad go ahead well i like what what jenny's saying about uh you know maybe it's something that he let go for the end of this hanging scene but right. it doesn't take away from the idea that that you're proposing that maybe bran did yeah. see through the weirwood it lends to that theory even though it's changed and George went another way with she screamed a word. I'm just rereading that sentence and that, that, that last paragraph as it's in our, in our books. Mm -hmm. And it actually, actually lends some weight to what you were saying earlier, Matt, that Fran may be speaking, um, like, uh, you know, if she meets the Stark kids, they may be very uh, suspicious of her, but he may be like, oh, no, it's okay, she's fine. Like, I literally saw her do yeah. this and say that. Oh, Which, guys, she's cool, know, she's if, cool. <laughs> if he'd also saved her, that would be a bit too much. Like, come on, how many times are you going to save yeah. her? Once from right. the hanging and once from your sisters being angry? No, that doesn't make much sense. Especially right. as I totally expect him to save one way or another Theon. Uh, when uh, Stannis takes him because he really wants right. him yeah. gone, right? And I'm like, no, 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 no. Bran is not going to let this happen, especially as he's taking him. I mean, uh, Asha is saying, oh, Stannis, you can't just behead him. This is... Oh, wait. Stannis, you cannot just burn him. This is not how it's done. He wronged the people of the North. You have to uh, behead him. And look, there are two werewolves over there, so you've got to do that there. Like, two werewolves. How is Bran not going to be there to intervene? So, if he intervenes for Theon, but he's already intervened for Brienne, like, isn't that a bit too much? So, I'm like, okay, yes, he must have a yes, the idea. It's too much. Exactly, right? Yeah. So, he was like, he probably maybe had the idea first for Brienne, and then was like, wait a minute, I can use that better with Theon. Someone Bran is so much closer with and maybe more pissed off at because he's the one who basically caused the ruin of his house whereas Brienne is this person he's never seen never heard of and now you know save Theon the douchebag that everybody loves and and say something good to your sisters or whoever about Brienne this woman that nobody knows but you've seen her do good I'm yeah, really I... nervous Go ahead. I, I, yeah, I think same thing, Scad. Um, we've talked ad nauseum on this podcast about being nervous about how much control Bran ends up exerting over the end of this story, and yeah, it. I I, don't I really into it. I really don't want every other chapter to be a Bran chapter where he's seeing something through the weirwood and sending vibes yeah. through to like change the result of the story. Right. I really, I yeah. really don't want it. And I, I'm, it's one of the it's one of the few things I think that really could end up kind of ruining it for me. And I, I have faith in George because he's such a good storyteller that he won't do that. But but even the fact yeah. that Bran can do it, 
hurts the story because then it's like, well, why isn't he doing it? And so he's got George has to introduce some sort of variable or, or limitation to, to his ability to affect things or something. It's, it's... Yeah, I think something like that will come up. Yeah. yeah. In any case, I do like that Brienne is forging this unintentional, really. Yeah. Intentional in some ways, but also unintentional connection with the Starks and the North. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, starting with Catelyn to the girls to getting, you know, as you called it earlier, scab the shards of ice to all this weirwood stuff that's happening. Whether yeah, no it was better Jamie, way than feeding a weirwood, right? Yeah, feeding the mm. weirwood. Jamie's dream influencing him coming back and saving her. Like she's just like little pieces are starting to add up. That's like making her an honorary member of the Stark family almost just just by happenstance in some parts. But it's and interesting. Yet, and yet, at the end of a noose by an undead yeah. Stark. Well, totally yeah. Stark. Good point. Good point. <laughs> it's, yeah, it, it is. It is funny. You know, she's got all these Lannister accoutrements on her that, uh, you know, basically, like you said earlier, indicate would 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 bring a complete lack of trust from the people she's trying to find. Um, you know, the letter and the the sword, and mm-hmm. she's gonna have to do some work. It doesn't work with Cat, right? Like she shows Cat these things, and Cat's like, "So your idea to prove to me that you're loyal is to show me that you're in league with Jamie Lannister?" <laughs> like, sorry, that doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, no, can do that, huh? <laughs> uh, guys, that's all I got. That's all I got. Ginny, you got okay. any other any other any other topics here? You want to hit? Uh, no, I just want to say that uh, Tyrion says that the Hound is with a Stark girl, the Stark girl, and she's like, I'm looking for the Stark girl, and neither uh-huh. of them names the Stark girl, and they're yeah. talking about two different Stark girls. Yeah, and, uh, she that's thinks it. it's and Sansa no one will still. ever know. Yeah, <laughs> she still thinks it's Sansa. She's gonna feel and like an idiot. Everybody thinks Arya did. It's terrible. She's very much alive. Yep. All right, well, shall, we, shall we move to sign-offs? Let's sign off, yep. It has been a blast. So sure. maybe you've heard this. Uh, Matt, you want to kick us off? Sure, yep. Um, just right before we started recording, well, maybe like an hour before we started recording, we got a Facebook message from someone we haven't heard from in a long time. I don't even know if you saw it yet, Scad. No. But. Um, I won't say his name on the cast because we don't have his consent to say his name on the cast, but I'll maybe give his initials so he knows who it's him, JP. Uh, JP reached out to us and probably haven't heard from him in maybe the amount of time that we've known Shani, maybe two or three years. Uh, But he used to communicate with us quite a bit and we were able to, you know, at least follow along with his adventures into fatherhood and a lot of things. And um, life kind of took him away from the podcast for a little while. And so... uh, it was just really, it was really cool to hear back from him again. And uh, so, Kalisar, this is Matt signing off. Say that wherever you go and whatever you do, we'll be right here waiting for you. When you're ready, we're here. <laughs> yep, when you're ready, we're right here. Uh, I'm My sign off uh, is just a quote. He was a crab. This was his place. This is beautiful. Jenny, go ahead. Sure. Uh, so my sign-off is uh, 
very topical because this is me being me and it is a bed of fallen needles on the forest floor may be thick as a castle wall but it is not sir dunk the tall's descendant <laughs> confirmed <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh, this was a blast. It was a lot of fun, Jimmy. Thank you. Hey, good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. (laughs) Yes, but uh, I've been talking to both of you for how many years now? Three? At at least three. I was thinking about this the other day. I think at least three. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I actually so, know. Yeah. I, I know this will be in the question later, so I should probably not jump unless we don't care because it's a podcast and it's pre-recorded. Um, <laughs> the first time we talked so, was somewhere at the end of 2017, so three and a half years ago, because I already yeah. worked at Tonga High School and I really remember being in my classroom. Sending tweets saying I was going to walk all the way to where I could download on Wi-Fi, and uh, and that's like a mountain. And oh my god! (laughs) And I remember those tweets. Had um, convinced me, like with one of his very rare, genuine tweets of how much he'd loved this last episode you'd put out, and I honestly cannot remember what this episode had in it i i'm pretty sure there was some cersei but that's it and just to hear i was like all right jeff has been saying good things about these guys for so long now it must be true i will download it sitting in my classroom hit download and then it tells me no it's too big you can't download on data like shoot now i have to walk all the way to tcc that's like (laughs) The, the only place where I could get Wi-Fi at that time was about three kilometers away. I didn't even have my bicycle with me that day. So I walked and the sun no. was horrible oh and I got sunburned and all that for you guys. Oh, <laughs> man. Oh, we owe you result. so much. We owe you so much. We really do. <laughs> but at least, you know, But I mean, the, that was great. The... Beginning of like two friendships. Um. I know you get this question a lot, my friend, but w- and when I pronounce it in my head, it's genie. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's perfect, actually. Okay. So, okay. So just I just don't say... want to go through this whole two hours of us talking, three hours of us talking, and every time I say your name, you're like, Argh. No, uh, that does not happen. So now, so now I feel like that's the reaction I've been giving since I've been saying Ginny, and I can say your no, full no. name. No, no, that's good. So, okay. So my name, I know, is impossible to pronounce for a non-French speaker, right? I know that. I've lived overseas long enough. It's fine. I'm completely fine with it. I honestly, genuinely don't mind it. So my name is Virginie. Virginie. Yeah, that that was good. But So I absolutely don't care how mispronounced it gets as long as I recognize it. I mean, that's important. And hey, you. Hey, you. That also works. Why not? But um, the only other thing is, I don't want to be called something else. And something else could, for example, be Virginia, which I am definitely not. So if you mispronounce Virginie, I mean, that's completely fine with me. Just don't call me something else.
I mean, Ginny, I've told you, Ginny or Ginny. I actually always thought Ginny would be your pronunciation. But, you know, you... It I don't was know where initially. it came from. Yeah, but that's yeah. fine. That's completely cool. Okay. And that's because it's you guys. <laughs> and my old housemate also called me that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, any shocking results so far that you guys want to want to shout out? I don't Ooh, think goodness. so. Yeah, we're still in the early rounds, right? For those of you who are listening to this six months from now, we are uh, only in, <laughs> we just barely started round two today. Yep. Uh, yeah, we have 64 people left as of this moment. By the time you hear this, though, we'll be probably pretty much through round two. I was um, a little surprised that Theon barely edged Dolorous Ed. Uh, yeah. I mean, that one was 5149. Yeah, but Go, yeah. Daddy, Ghost Chase Killer. Yeah, yeah, but he put up a good fight. That was cool. He did. I was a little surprised Corrin uh, beat beat Baelish. Baelish, of course, mm -hmm. everyone hates him, but yeah, <laughs> get more people are people are frowning on the on the call. Uh, of course, people hate him, but he's he's such a influential and good bad guy that he he usually pulls pulls quite a few votes. I think. And I was also a little surprised about Nettles beating Septon Barth. Oh, really? But uh, oh. yeah, I was. Oh, interesting. Okay. Well, I, 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 feel I like haven't read that a... part of Fire and Blood, so I did not vote in that one, which is my other criteria. <gasps> don't vote if you don't know at least one of the two contestants really well. Oh, you need to get a blacker soul, Jenny. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, yes, yeah. but the past year, like last year, taught me a lesson in this. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Um all right. You go, always go let ahead. you always have one. We always have someone in the tournament that we just put in there mostly just to see how bad they can lose by. And yeah. uh Randall Tarley didn't disappoint this year. Yeah. Um, out of a night out of a 100 point if we did this by points, 100 points. He lost to Varus 91 to 9, which is yes. just fantastic. 9 is huge for that yes. person. I'm surprised. Sorry. <laughs> that is that's one of the larger margins we've ever had. I think we had a 94 to 6 once with yeah, Joffrey, I think. I think. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> something like that. But it, that's one of the bigger ones we've seen. All right, I'm back. Sorry guys. <laughs> that's okay. No, I went we myself to We were just looking at the uh I just ran over to our notifications to see and we've already got quite a few likes on the old It was tweet. only 12 minutes. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the things that happen when you're famous clearly not yep. to me <laughs> oh yeah eight likes and two retweets yep. it also helps during a song of madness season it seems like people just watch yeah. our, our twitter account a little more closely I think they oh, turn yeah. us off until Mar until song of madness <laughs> and then they turn on like the notification or whatever well our follower count drops pretty significantly every year after several hundred ah, right yeah, yeah yeah and it actually we're not growing as much as we usually do but yeah that might be a thing of maybe the show not being around anymore and stuff and maybe not quite as many people but anyways um i think we've grown so, like 300 though yeah so, definitely anyway. complaining for sure yeah back to um, back to important stuff Thanks, right. guys. I was tired coming in tonight, but I had a blast.
Yes. Thank it's you, like, I was tired coming into it. I'm tired right now having just finished it. Yeah. But I was not tired for the last three hours. We <laughs> yeah. <were> totally. <laughs> Interesting yeah. how that works. Uh, I was not tired coming in because it was 5.30 p.m. And I am tired now, <laughs> but not because of you guys. You've been amazing. And I'm also... Blessed. I'm so happy we finally got to be together doing, I don't know, something we like. And I am sorry I rambled so much at the beginning and great. I was not always being very clear. And that's okay because this is also me. This It was fantastic. It was everything and more. So It was great. Perfect. You were yep. you were You did you were fantastic. Yep. Yeah. People are going to love this episode. Yeah. I already know it. <laughs> For sure. And yep. if they don't, it's okay. I'll send them one of my friends. <laughs> one of your Tongan crips. I, I don't want to no, know what that is. Mexican, I love the episode. Don't send Mexican one to me. Friends. Oh my god, Tongan crips. Let's send them Tongan crips. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, good night, guys. Good night. <laughs>